Judah and Matthew are dumpster people, and they occasionally use foul and inappropriate language. Listen at your own risk. Welcome to Brother Date Star Trek's edition. I'm Matthew. I'm Judah. This is big ol' number 115 of the Star Trek's project. Yeah. I have nicknamed my notes this week Terminal. There's barely, there's barely 60 weeks to go now. <laughs> scanned three years at this pace. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, there are some shared themes in among some of these episodes. That's true. Yeah. Uh, boy. Well, so I, a, rare, before, a extreme rarity that last week Voyager did not finish last. Yeah, that's right. And so we will jump into Deep Space Nine first, um, because that's how this works. We talk about the worst finishing one first. Mm-hmm, but um, mm-hmm. this is one where, so before. As a way to taunt each other and also just, you know, to encourage the other person to get it done, we do share our scores when we finish. Not, we don't give the episodes. I always list them in descending order from highest score to lowest. I I do as well. Um, So I know that in a a very rare turn of events, I appear to have issued about 20 more points than you this (laughs) week. Maybe more. Just preliminarily. Well, to be fair... um... I'm trying to sell this condo. Yeah. <laughs> and uh I've been in a I've been a real sourpuss just in general, so maybe um maybe my outlook on these ep- well, okay, but you know what? These episodes really brought me up. I had an outstanding <laughs> time watching these episodes <laughs> and and abusing them. Um via the keyboard. So, I don't know. I maybe maybe my attitude was just fine. We'll we'll see what happens. I always talk myself down. Some of these scores are so low, I don't know how. But um. well, as you already teased, we're going to start with Deep Space Nine this week. We watched Ties of Blood and Water. <laughs> you to know that it takes close to 30 years of playing the guitar to get a sound that nasty <laughs> it's a skill kira this is a kira joint she is prepping dax and Worf for the arrival of her uh her old cardi papa to kenny gamore you all remember this guy he's the one who in the episode where she thought maybe she was a cardassian spy if i just hold on let me think about it am i i might be a it cardassian is- it's extremely strange how little reminding us of the events of that episode they do in this. Yeah, they mention his name, and Dax makes a remark about how he's basically her dad or whatever. Right. And they do expect you to just kind of use the early internet to figure that one out. Yeah, if you had not, if you had missed that episode, 
like, you know, you were on vacation that week or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd just be like, since when has Kira had a Cardassian sort of I bat? mean, you'd be Worf. You'd be Worf sitting there. Because Worf immediately <laughs> is like, what the fuck's going on? He literally says with his mouth that it's not right that she has a Cardassian friend. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, she thinks he can serve as uh, an opposition leader to Dukat's Dominion-backed faction. I don't know why she thinks that will work, but she seems to. Yeah, I don't know. She seems to think that the government of Cardassia at this point, I don't know, three episodes after the Dominion takeover, mm-hmm. uh, is a functioning government that can have such as an opposition leader <laughs> yep. that has any meaningful influence. Uh, anyway, Gamor shows up and gets a nice hug from Kira and a begrudging handshake from Worf. And uh, this guy seems real weak and pathetic. Just so tired. I'm so, I'm so tired from the journey. He is tired like not the main character of a play. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> That's correct. Uh, they talk about how his real daughter um, most assuredly beefed it, he and Kira. Um, he tells Kira she needs to find a new opposition leader, though, because big shock. He's dying. It's Yarim Fell syndrome. He's going to die, and that's that. I don't remember if we talked about this the first time we saw that guy, but Cardassians have got real messed up names. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Scrain Ducat, for instance. <laughs> this <laughs> I mean, guy's name like, is Tekeni Gamor. <laughs> the name Scrain Ducat is full of so much chaotic energy. I, I love it so much. <laughs> But his daughter has got, like, just a real normal name. Isn't it Ileana or something? Yeah, it's uh, she's Eastern European or something. It, exactly. It's like, well, that's just a name that people have, though. Yeah. <laughs> no one is named Scrain, as far as Scrain. I know. <laughs> By the way, we might have talked about it. No one says that on the air, right? No one has ever said it in an episode, Scrain. That's some kind of deep background or something. I mean, maybe it is, yeah. I cannot believe that anyone ever said Scrain Ducat. You know, Gull Scrain Ducat. I wonder if it's from some novel that we've never read and never will read, because <laughs> you can write that on paper, and it's much harder to say out loud. Scrain. Anyway. Uh, credits. Bashir says it's looking bad for this guy, but they have uh, they have some treatments they can try. Um, maybe some similar treatments we'll see in the TNG episode. Who knows? Gull Ducat calls Cisco's office. And demands, after the usual banter, the return of Legate Kamor. Um, I guess there's no B-plot this week. I mean, not really, no. Uh, Gamor holds Yoshi for a while and says for the 11th time already in the episode that Kira is the closest thing he has to a daughter now. <laughs> he also says Kira is a public figure on Cardassia, so that's pretty wild. I don't know how many... Um, Enemy officers are public figures in the United States, for example. It's a weird one. Like, typically it has to be someone pretty high up. You know what I mean? I might know who the enemy commander-in-chief would be. But, like... like, Thanks to, you know, 50 years of baby boomer world war ii fetishism you know who erwin rommel is yeah yeah yeah. but at the time i wonder if it was he a big deal or were people right you probably had to have been briefed the briefing studies would have to have been brought out to you exactly um 
Anyway, he uh, finally reveals his true purpose here. He wants to do Shrital. Yeah. He wants to tell her all of his scary Cardassian secrets so she can use them for vengeance or something. I assume yes. it's vengeance. <laughs> yeah, the uh, like all like all alien races and all science fiction programs, the Cardassians have one single defining trait, and for <laughs> them it is. I mean, what would you call abuse it? my Venus? enemies after I'm gone? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> They're all based on the most fleshed out Cardassian character, Garrick. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, this makes her nervous because it says it has to make her nervous in the script. There's no reason she wouldn't be into this, right? I mean, she loves this guy and she craves that Cardi info. So what's the problem? Sudden flashback. Yeah. <laughs> Kira's dying father is dragged in in front of her in some old dank cave, probably some kind of resistance camp or something. And she says, uh, she comes out of that, that flashback and she says that she'll cooperate with Gamor. Uh, she gets the rundown from Bashir on how to run all the medical doodads so this guy can lay on his deathbed and say cool spy shit without too much pain. He's he's In between those scenes, he became bedridden, so... Um, this guy starts to spill all the secrets, and Kira chooses a terrible time to let her mind wander. Yes. <laughs> right I mean, back to dead dad flashbacks. Luckily, she slapped her voice recorder down on the desk in front of her in the lecture <laughs> hall, but still. Yep. She, People uh, probably just use their phones for that now in college, huh? Uh, yeah, 100%. And probably for a while. She, um... In this flashback, she had to sit with her dying dad and chat with him while he bled out years ago, which I guess is why she was nervous about this. We'll get more flashback later, though. Don't worry. Kira must have caught a cold for this part because she has no voice in the next scene. <laughs> she's all raspy. Uh, Cisco's pretty happy with her first notes that she's taken, but Gamora has taken a turn for the worse. And the guy just says to her the next time she sees him, Ask my questions, Nerys! It's a fucking worthless prompt. <laughs> That's like a and reporter. She, does it. she just says, oh, you were talking about <laughs> it's like the a attack on whatever. A reporter asking a coach something like, uh, um, t- uh, tell me about shots on goal. Well, like, we went out <sighs> there and we played the game. We want- <laughs> Yeah, exactly. They're not going to answer that question. <laughs> uh, I need a sound bite. Can I have a sound bite, please, coach? Um, as uh, Kira is handling that, a Jem'Hadar battleship of some kind shows up to demand the return of Gamor. It's got the Dukat, and it's got the Wayun, and they beam over to chat with Cisco. This Wayun is the fifth Wayun. I think guess Cisco right. saw the fourth one eat it previously. Which episode was that? I don't even remember. Uh, it was in. Oh fuck! Couldn't uh, remember. Well, He's this seen is the a second few. part of a two-parter. Oh, maybe. Uh, uh, the one recently where they were all captured in prison camps? I don't think Wayun was in that one. Honestly, I don't know. Anyway. Um, <clears throat> Dukat tells Gamora that uh, they have his daughter, Yeliana, or whatever, and she can be returned to him. And he's been cleared of any crimes, so he can just come on home. But he tells Dukat to lick a nard. <laughs> and then a montage of more secrets being told to Kira... And a then, literal montage. Yep. 
and then Dukat comes to see Kira, and he tells her about Gamora's various crimes during the occupation, and apparently he did some monastery massacre or something. You know, trying to pit her against him. Uh, Kira snaps on Dukat, but she does read this old fart's military record afterward. Yep. In the next scene, she's all mad at Gamor. The guy seems pretty regretful about what happened at that monastery, but Kira still walks out on him. Wayun is having a blast at Quarks. Sisko comes in and tries to poison Dukat with the spiked canard that Dukat had just delivered to Gamor, like a few minutes ago. Wayun houses the whole drink. I guess the Vorta are immune to most poisons. Otherwise, I don't know what the point of that scene was. After he houses the drink, I don't remember, Matt, does he try to get a phone video of Cisco saying he's going to assassinate the president? <laughs> Actually, I am going to take a bite of that. Um, Odo's just hanging out at the temple, waiting for Kira, and she shows up. But he steadfastly refuses to give her a pep talk, which is weird. Like, why was he waiting for her? It is weird. Anyway, she has another flashback, and I guess when her dad was beefing it, she skipped out before he died to go get the revenge. She was going to get some of that preemptive revenge. Um, I don't know, or maybe because she couldn't bear to watch him die. Um, just like she's using Gamora's war record as an excuse not to watch him die either. Um, so that's what she's been worried about this whole time. Bashir comes to tell her that Gamora will be dead within the hour, and he tries to convince her to go and see the old sad man. Flashback to some peon telling Kira her dad died calling her name. And then in real time, she decides to go see Gamora as he dies. So she she made a different decision this time. She breaks down about it to Bashir. Uh, Sisko tells Dukat and Wayun to eat it when they ask for the body because Kira already found a spot to bury the old man. I guess it's on Bajor or something, which I'm sure the Bajorans will totally understand and be cool with. Uh, it's next to her other dad, right? So probably... Her two it was dads. probably just maybe she just bought that spot or whatever. Yeah, maybe. End. That is the end of that one. Yeah. What was this one all about? Well, Bashir says with his mouth sure. that nobody deserves to die alone. Mm. And also, it does seem like that's what Kira really regrets about having walked out on her dad. Is that he had to die alone, not that she didn't get to see him go. Sure. So, I guess that's the take. Nobody deserves to die alone. And maybe. I'm yeah. not I don't I'm know. not really that interested in getting into what people deserve. It <laughs> just is an idea. It's usually not a good idea. But, um, well, what do I do with that? Yeah. Like, uh. It's a good question. There's a, maybe a couple of times in your life when you get any part of making that call. Well, I guess now, when your dad, Hitler, <laughs> is dying, <laughs> right. you'll know that you should be there with him <laughs> on his deathbed. Because nobody deserves to die alone. Yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I gave it as many as three points. Okay. But... Uh, well, look, it was a take. Yeah. Maybe it just wasn't a hot one. Exactly. Uh, I had, of all the deceptions to be wary of, self-deception. It's at the top of the list. Kira resists all of Dukat's uh, sneaky attempts, 
to obtain Gamor, but she very nearly falls for her own nasty little trick like she did years ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. Maybe it's not, though. <laughs> they gave it a four. Um, well, uh, how did you like it? <clears throat> well, I'm glad we had no baffling B-plots this week. Yeah. If something meant to lighten the mood. This is risky because Yoshi is in this. I know. It was We were almost in it for O'Brien is having trouble being a dad part two. Yeah. Um, yeah, even though I didn't necessarily love everything about the execution of the A plot, no B plot was, uh, was very helpful. Um, Kira acts a particular way that helps the writers tell a story, but it never really felt real to me. Which part? Well, she goes from, like, over the moon in love with this old windbag to suddenly just fucking hating his guts. We're supposed to believe because she couldn't stand to, to I don't know, to be there when he beefed it. I don't know. Or, right. It's because she wasn't there when her dad beefed it. Maybe. I don't know. It's something. There's something in there. There's an attempt. But I didn't really understand all of her motivation, despite the five or six flashbacks weird advice scenes from Bashir whose dad is alive and, and Odo who he presumably hates but maybe he's a little well, he's in prison dad, now, now his dad's so. doing a bid so he feels a little better about him yeah he finally gave up gave up the bag and everything and Odo whose doctor daddy is alive why not a scene from like Dax who's had probably many dead dads uh-huh. or like Worf who I'm guessing didn't actually witness his father's death you know, I think he yeah. was around. I don't think he saw it. Oh, and Worf loves to tell you that he his deepest regret is that he missed something that he has no interest in doing now. So <laughs> sure, yep. Or maybe like Cisco, who had to leave Jennifer behind on that ship. Remember, we can't just leave her. Yeah. All that. I don't know. Like anybody that this would make sense for, like someone for her to talk to, where it would make sense. But nah, it's Bashir and Odo. That's who's uh, that's who's giving her the advice. DS Nine gets this wrong every single time they never get it right it's always advice from the wrong people yeah uh that being said it was uh, a serious episode about a thing that maybe could be moving to you in certain situations and i gave it a five um uh, well i liked it a little less than that i'm afraid okay it has ducat and wayun mm-hmm. uh kira gets to do some stage acting so it's not all bad oh wait a minute what about garrick who just lost his dad how about that he could have uh, yeah some yeah advice. i wonder if he has one. any ideas about it sorry go on yeah it's a good it's a good you're right about that uh ds9 has 50 characters and they <laughs> never they never put them together in a way that makes sense for the story it's so weird they always pick like the two people who shouldn't be in it Ugh. yeah um i don't think we needed the flashback no, I don't. Star Trek is not helpful. flashbacks generally, and I think Kira could tell this story to someone. You know, like in, um, like Generations is not the best movie, but right. when Picard is crying in his ready room and he just tells you that his nephew burned in a fire, and we don't have to see it. We have yeah. to. There's not a flashback to his nephew burning to death in a fire, <laughs> but it's right. still very moving because. Like, you know, to cut to take an analogy with this episode, we don't know Kira's dad. We don't care about Kira's dad. Yeah. We care about how Kira feels about what happened. Yeah. And we don't need to see it. 
for that. She can tell us how she feels. She can, you know, do some acting. Right. But no, we got to keep cutting back and forth as if from the very moment that we see the first flashback where her dad comes in. Yeah. Where we're not going to be like, well, I guess this is about this, huh? <laughs> I was so confused. I was like, this one's got flashbacks? Yeah. This came out of nowhere. Um, the, the So the main problem, I guess the, my main problem with this episode is, here comes this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kira... As you said, like, fawns over him. Yeah. And also, and I don't know if this was direction from this episode's director, Avery Brooks. Ah, uh, that's why or, he's just in it randomly throughout, I yeah. guess. Or if this is something that Nana Visitor did. But she seems to regress in those early scenes. Doesn't she seem like a little girl kind when of. she's with him? Yeah. Maybe she still sees herself as his Cardassian daughter. A real Cardassian uh, woman. Right. But in the meantime, it's been like, I don't know, two years? And there's been no evidence that Gamor has continued to be important to her in any way. That she's thought once about that thing where she was on Cardassia. I mean, honestly, like, the way he talks about it, it doesn't seem like they've really been in touch. He's like, I've been <laughs> following you. Uh, exactly, right? You know, on the onlines, I go on and I, I, I go to, I bing uh, Kira, and then it gives me a bunch of stuff I don't want, and then I have to ask somebody to come in and find you. Like, that seems what he's doing. Like, he's not, he, he's not called her. And similarly in, I, I guess, what passes for a B-plot, we're kind of advancing the political climate with the Dominion mm-hmm. as if the last five episodes haven't been entirely unrelated to like as if the Dominion Cardassian stuff. I mean, it wasn't mentioned at all for the previous few episodes. It didn't come up. They didn't even throw like a throwaway line when they were talking about selling all these weapons like, no, well, you know, this whole sector is hotting up. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's like this episode and this episode alone has decided that this is a show that has continuity. And it doesn't matter that all of the things they want to rely on uh, in this episode have been completely dropped since yeah. their first appearance, right? Yep. That's true. So I gave it a three. Okay. Um, I mean... It, uh, Actually, probably would have given it a five, but it has flashbacks. <laughs> Definitely does. And um, I think we can agree, Matt. A flashback is equivalent to a dream. Yeah, it's pretty close, for sure. And um, again, when that first one happened, I think I just went in the living room alone to myself. Whoa! <laughs> Couldn't believe it. Came out of nowhere. <laughs> All right, well then, uh, what about the world building? Yeah, there's some. Uh, Kira's a big wheel at the Cardassian Cracker Factory. That's right. <laughs> the uh, Federation officially doesn't recognize Dukat's government. Sure. Um, hospice equipment in the future is all vacuum tubes and tap lights. 
It's fucking huge. And sound mixers for some reason. <laughs> that thing was the size of like a big old mixing board. Yeah. Uh, Shrital, Vorta cloning, Vorta immune to most forms of poison. Yeah. Etc. Etc. So I gave it as many as four world building nice. points. Let's see. Kira single-handedly trying to set up an opposition Cardi government in exile. Don't know why she thinks she has the power for that. Don't know if anyone's helping her or advising her. Hard to say, but if she is at least making that attempt. The Yarim Fell syndrome seems like bad news. They do bother to show us, like you said, <clears throat> some of the Cardi and um, Dominion relationships. The way Wayun keeps fucking subtweeting everything Dukat says. And the way in the background during that uh, Zoom call, there's that Cardi <laughs> lieutenant who just looks angrily at the Jem'Hadar guard. Yes. So it seems like they're trying to show some stuff there. But again, it, as with the other continuity stuff, they're half committed to it. Because one mm. thing they definitely don't do is have Gamor say anything interesting about Gul Dukat. Anything <laughs> that could be used as a weakness. Anything. Well, his arch enemy is what's his name, uh, Gul Trapar, head of the Fourth yes, exactly. Order. Exactly, right, because he used to just... be he used to outrank Dukat, and yeah. he hates taking orders from him. Flashback. Oh, that's, that's definitely going to come up in season seven. Is definitely <laughs> we're definitely going to see Cisco's put in a call to our old buddy Gul Trapar. See, these days you'd have to if this came yes. up. By the time like, you're in season a show seven, that did the whole continuity. internet would be like, "This is the season we're going to see Gul Trapar." I saw in the casting notes that so and so is on is in the casting. He'd be a great Gul Trapar. If, but if you could tell that the, like the writers knew there wasn't going to be continuity from this, they didn't bother to think of anything to have Gamora say. Every time he starts talking, Kira has a flashback. <laughs> it's pretty good. It's I, I mean Babylon Five would have done. Oh. I mean Babylon Five, he would have told you something critical right yes, away. Yes, 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 yes. He would have told you something. Where you went, I'm, I'm not taking notes, but I wish I was taking notes. <laughs> That's gonna be a big one. So, yeah, I know you're in the middle of your world building segment, like, and you're right, that they show that lieutenant looking over at the Vorta every time. Yeah, and he mad. Showing some of the tension between the government and who's really in charge. I know Dukat's the figurehead, et cetera, et cetera, but they're just uncommitted to it, totally. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, a black hole is a strong drink. Warm Enyak's milk to help you sleep. Ah, uh, that's Quark's Little League line, right? That's when he Little Leagues it. Dukat travels It's the around. most Little League of all in this one. Hey, are you looking pretty down? You want a drink? No skin off my fucking ears. I don't give a shit. All, all right, fuck this. you. I'm, I'm back next week, though. Check out the episode title. <laughs> um, Dukat travels around on a Jem'Hadar battleship these days. Um, The Kiasa Monastery incident. Which is spelled Kiesa according to all the subtitles, but it's yeah, it was weird Kiesa. that every single person who talked about it said Kiasa, so I don't know what happened That's there. It's just a pronunciation thing there, I guess. Um, Maybe the usual Star Trek rule: the script had Kiesa, and that's where the subtitles come from. But the first person who said it gets to pronounce it, I guess. <laughs> that's right. Uh, I had it as a three. Well, what about characterization? Worf thinks it's wrong that Kira has a Cardi friend. That tracks for Worf. Kira loves this spoonhead son of a bitch. However, her weird guilt about running out on her dying dad rears its ugly head here, and she almost does the same thing to Gamor, but she is eventually convinced or gets enough flashbacks that she does it. It's not clear. Because, like, a bunch of people try to convince her, and they all leave unsuccessful. I think the last flashback does it. 
uh, Gamora is a sad old man who loves Kira almost exclusively because he has no family anymore. Yes. There doesn't seem to be anything else that he likes about her. He just keeps saying that, well, I, it's just you or nobody, I guess so. I love well, you. You lived in my house for three days, so. I love you so much because, my daughter. you know, <laughs> who else? Sorry, he was way too, he was way too gruff there. He's much more feeble. Yes, although the actor physically looked in his mid forties. <laughs> I know. Uh, uh, this Garrick's not in this episode, but did he do Shreetal yet, or is that still to come? Is this a Silver Blood situation? <laughs> did we already see the one where he does Shreetal for Bashir? No. Okay. All right. Well, that's something to look forward. No, to. No, we haven't, and I don't know that we saw Tane give it to him. Uh. Well, Tane's dead, so he had to have seen it, right? Oh, no, but what I mean is, I don't know if they thought or had thought of it. Oh, yeah, I don't, I mean, he definitely was They like, didn't say Shreetal for sure, but whether no. he gave him any useful information before he died, It I, seemed like Garrick already sure. knew all the info. He was like, right. and you remember to get my, get all the guys I don't like, right? You know how this yeah. works, I die, you gotta kill ten guys, that's the rule. Um... Let's see, uh, here I have written, Ducat tries a lot of mind games, but no cool attempts to kidnap the guy or attack the station. Just lots of uh, Alemo smiling sneakily. And then I have, oh wait, never mind, he tried to poison the guy. No, he did try to actually <laughs> try to poison him, yeah. Uh, Bashir and Odo serve as Kira's spiritual mentors today, which makes no sense at all. Cisco is in this one, mostly just angry at Ducat. And again, well, I'll save it. Um, a four for me. So Kira has always been pretty righteous about her time in the resistance. Yeah. And it's it is interesting to see her confront a regret of some kind. Sure. Even though it's not like when her dad died, she didn't go crazy and kill a bunch of innocent people in a way that could be construed as parallel to whatever happened at the Kiasa massacre or anything like that. So mm-hmm. But you know, is what I in the version of this that I was predicting in my head, I thought was going to happen. But now she just. But you know, you're right because remember that episode with that creep who was like, "You're in the shadows, and I'm watching you." Remember that guy? I remember it very much. Not even for one quarter second does she back off on anything she ever did. The whole episode, she's like, "I'd fucking kill a hundred thousand more of you guys, geek shit." Yeah. Uh, also, again, I thought it was weird how she regresses in place like a little girl when Gamora shows up, especially yeah. that we learn that she was already a freedom fighting adult when she lost her real father. Yeah, this isn't a Roe situation. It wasn't Roe a kid when they tortured her dad to death in front of her or something? Yeah. Yes, exactly. So that feels like a a disconnect. So I don't, again, I don't know if that was a bad note from the director or if <laughs> <Avery> <laughs> hadn't been in the show too much lately and she kind of wanted to do something. Right. Uh, Ducat's slimy. Wayun's a real weirdo. Um, Cisco is way too mercenary about the importance of this intelligence. Like, again, we spent four years where he's a family man. Uh-huh. And he's all about family, and his only scenes where he seems to care about anything are with Jaco. Yep. And then... You mean Jack Sisko? I do. Okay. Uh, and then, fucking, this year, all of a sudden, he's towing the party line for some reason, and he's he cares a lot about this intelligence and not very much about 
the obvious pain that Kira's going through watching this old man die. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, no one else is really in this one. But um, like you, I gave it four points. Okay. What about quick ones? I fucking love being told about all the history these two characters have, even though we've never, ever heard Kira talk about it in the intervening years. It's very much... I mean, it's kind of a lot like... Yes. Uh, it saved your life nine times. Star Wars. Yeah. yeah exactly. The Star Wars. Yes. <laughs> remember exactly. when you fell into that nest of gun darts? That one didn't count because of the lesbians. You remember. <laughs> um, ah, and then I, ah, oh, fuck, man. Yarm Fell Syndrome. You hate to hear it. This tough. Matt, there's another, always another has... <laughs> great claimed by Yarm Fell Syndrome. <laughs> that, uh, that and Bandai Syndrome have got to, Namco Bandai Syndrome have got to be the two <laughs> great. <laughs> Scourges of the Tragedies galaxy, really. The Where, age, yeah. What is? Uh, what are all these great Starfleet medical officers up to? Why haven't we cured these two terrible diseases? I'm just going to do a little Alex Jones work here, and I want to talk about how it's really an inside job. Well, this is the thing, too. There always has to be a scene in, in one of these Star Trek episodes where our doctor confirms that a dude is really dying or really has Namco Bandai syndrome <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, they got to take him to the fed doctor to make sure. Uh-huh. Like, I don't want to uh, talk shit about military doctors, but if a friend of mine told me he had cancer, <laughs> I wouldn't be like, well, what does the doctor on the USS Abraham Lincoln say? Did you even check with him? Honestly, if you had cancer and you went to the USS Abraham Lincoln, you would not think to check in with the medical people there. You would just know you had cancer and you were on that ship and that is all that would happen. You wouldn't be like, I need a second opinion from one of these Navy doctors. But if someone... If someone shows up and they tell you what medical condition that, like, this guy was not like, I haven't been feeling good lately and the doctors don't know what's wrong with me. Right. No, he comes in and he says, listen, you're going to have to find somebody else to lead your resistance. I have Yarum Fell Syndrome. Here's a letter from my doctor that says I have Yarum Fell Syndrome and As I'm going to die. I got the WebMD. It says extremely likely. When this is the thing, she fucking hauls him into Bashir, and then Bashir's like, yeah, I looked it up in the Cardassian medical database or whatever, and it says he's got Yarim Fell syndrome, and he's going to fucking die. What do you, like, what's... Bashir should be mad. Like, why are you wasting my time with this? I'm still trying to cure the white. Like, uh, what, what is this? <laughs> yeah, I, I got stuff to do. Hey, do you remember... Hey, do you remember that plague planet where they kept taking everybody to that one doctor... <laughs> who was really... Yes, who was really just giving them a nice death. And I <laughs> vowed cool to party. spend my life fixing that. Yeah, I'm doing <laughs> anyway, that right now. I, I'm doing that. Believe it or not, I'm still working on that when someone isn't having like a weird neural disease that turns them into somebody else or whatever. When somebody asks me to please wipe their brother's memory or whatever. Right. And there's not a scene where she says to him, yeah, but you're like genetically enhanced, right? So you can, you, you know more about it. Cardassian medicine than the Cardassian doctors do. Because, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. Because the enhancements, because the, because of the goose suit you wear every day. Well, it's like, look, there, again, there's another episode this week. It's funny how these things line up. Yeah. Where alien has an alien problem. Yep. And the and a Federation doctor has to solve it. But yeah. Anyway, there's always one of these where it's like, well, our doctor has to say he's dying, or else I guess the audience won't believe it. <laughs> Some kind of cardi trick. Is he even really dying? What does Bashir think? Is he even really? He's probably a changeling. Uh, Matthew, I'm. There's a little scene here where Gul Dukat says he prefers the title of Gull. 
And I am 100% convinced it's because someone, I don't know, Rick Berman or whoever, thought the viewers think Gull is his first name. He's only ever been Gull Ducat. And we can't make him Legate Ducat now. People are going to be like, what? What does that mean? Is that a different guy? He has to change his name. Yeah, I um, it's um this would have been a good time to say his name was Screen, honestly. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um I guess Kira borrowed not her baby to show not her dad. <laughs> what do you think that conversation went? And you think she just put her hand on uh, Miles's leg and he gave her the baby like Yes. I can't. I know what you're doing and I can't <laughs> with this, but yeah, take my baby. I don't have any paternal feeling about him anyway. Yeah, I hate him. Was, you should have seen last week. I hated that. I hated this kid. Yeah. Anyway, like, it's the family you choose, right? Hey, um, Cardi Dad. Cardi Dad that I knew for three days one time. Here's the son that I carry. It's not baby. mine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, oh, he's beautiful. Looks just like someone who's basically my daughter on account of I don't have any anymore. <laughs> But I'm so tired. Uh, this is where I wrote, oh, fuck, man, I did not expect a flashback to her dying dad. <laughs> Why they you. gotta do me like this? <laughs> it was so baffling. I was honestly, I kind of want to give them extra points for pulling one over on us like that. For just <laughs> pulling was... one out of their ass. It was almost like a cut to a fight with an Andorian mid, <laughs> mid-fight. <laughs> it is it's clear that like, we wait, both what? had a very strong reaction to that flashback. <laughs> Um, like so I said, a, I enjoyed every episode this week. Uh, just uh, for the chaos, just pure chaos this week. <laughs> there was it was a pretty chaotic week. <laughs> um, so palliative care is just as gruesome in the future. Like yeah. Bashir's got to do all this business about give him this drug when he gets in pain, and here's how you change the drugs, etc. But also, this guy's going downhill fast. He showed up here with a knapsack and he was a little tired. And <laughs> after Bashir's thing about Yar, he must have given up when Bashir said, Yeah, I don't know, man. It's Yarum Fell. Yeah, it sounds like Yarum Fell, and I don't know what to do about that. Now he's in a bio bed getting space morphine. <laughs> That's what I said in my description. I was like, so- Suddenly, suddenly, yeah. he's on his deathbed. I don't know what happened, but he's dying now. And then, like you, I wrote, Good thing she's recording because she is not even listening to this old boy. <laughs> He was telling, he was giving her some juicy stuff, and she just fucking zoned out. Uh, anyway, let's do a little outfit talk. Let's talk about past Kira's outfit. Hmm. She's got a little shirt pants combo, but over her shirt she's got a a decrepit crocheted vest. Yeah. Do you think she crocheted that herself? <laughs> a. And then B out of her own red hair. <laughs> did kind of match um i mean i was just wondering what the point of the garment was it certainly wasn't robust enough to keep any any heat in or anything yes it's not really gonna keep her warm and it definitely wasn't stylish and i don't think they'd be worried about it so you have to ask the department that came up with the uh, wardrobe for this shit oh yeah you would not you you would not wear that thing what is this oh and i gotta put on this this weird, this weird crocheted vest? Okay. Um, It's always fun to run into one of these, but uh, clearly uh, Jeffrey Combs, the actor who plays Wayun, doesn't know what the word progenitor means mm. because he pronounces it like progenitor. Oh, 
stupid ad. Or Progenitor or something <laughs> like that. Like, he thinks it's the machine that clones Wayunes. <laughs> is the Progenitor. <laughs> He's telling his, his family that he hopes will be proud of him. And then this character, he, he gets in the, the Progenitor, and then uh, there are more of him, and so I'll get to be in every episode. Uh, so you hate to see that, too. <laughs> uh, and then they did a montage in here, so I really felt like I won the lottery at that point, once the montage started. <laughs> yep. Hey, um, <clears throat> wait, it's a little goblin, huh? Just drinking that poison, he's kind of half-delighted by everything. Yeah. What they knew about, what they um, were doing, man. What about if we see if we see some Dominion types in one of these new Star Treks? What about throwing John Soman a lie, a, a line or two? Oh yeah, bring her in. She's a real goblin. Just have her speak Korean and pretend it's an alien language and subtitle everything she says. Uh huh. And everything she says should be based on something that John Soman said to them. Yeah, you could tell from her face that she's a little goblin. So that'll yeah. that'll be just fine. Like John Soman said this uh, to us. When we were trying to cast her, we definitely <laughs> need to put that in the show because it made us very sad. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, it's just I one thing I always think of is when she gets launched into the pool so hard she comes out, comes right over to the camera, and tells her mom to sell the house because she's quitting Running Man. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so good. Yeah, her first fifty appearances where she's like, "I'm now. I will never get married because of the <laughs> because of Running Man. I cannot get married." <laughs> yes. <laughs> It's very good. I should watch that show again if I ever have 93 minutes. Yeah. Um, and then, Matt, after I die, when you're throwing untouched and unfilled out K-pop brackets onto my casket. Yes. Make sure I get one of these plastic arch tombstones that Kira uses. <laughs> I think you could probably just get them in the Halloween aisle. They look like that sort of plastic mold. Yes, it's a spooky kind of uh, uh-huh. uh, grave graveyard type feel. Yes, I can do that for you. And I'll put one of those spooky mats on it, too. When people walk by, it'll go, ooh. Ah, that'll be great. Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, I gave Best Actor to Ducat, probably. Okay. And uh, I gave Worst Actor to Kira, and I'm going to play the line that I gave yes, her. Yes, yes, yes. Two or four. A yes, clip right here. We won't let him get his hands on you. <laughs> yeah, I did cringe a little bit in real time would, when she said would that. She, this, by the way, if, for people who, everyone who listens to this did not watch this episode. I understand that. Yeah. This is what I mean when I said she regressed. She's like a little girl. To me, it guy. sounded like she thought he was a little boy. Or that he's a little boy. Yeah, but <laughs> I'll do Here's one more and just listen for the mm-mm at the end. We won't let him get his hands on you. Mm-mm. And I stopped it and said, what? <laughs> it is very, it's like she couldn't remember the line and just did her best. Yes. And then no one caught it. This is always what I think happens. Avery Brooks like, was just in the back and he goes, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, that was sort of what she was supposed to say. And we need to move on because we got to get nine other shots or whatever. And so, yeah, sure. Okay. And then you hear it in real time and you go, mm, that can't be, that's not what they should have done. We won't let that nasty old Gulder Cog get his mm. hands on you. It's very weird. Uh, so I haven't made a clip from a Star Trek in 50 episodes, but... Uh, At least you still remembered how to do it. Uh, At least you didn't mu- have to use that tablet that doesn't do anything anymore. It's much easier to do with this setup, so... Okay, good. And it, I know the sound quality is not great there, but that's because in all Star Treks they have a constant background. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> Honestly, I think there was one on that planet when that lady said she welcomed that huge one. I think there was still a hum, probably from that alien god in space. Yeah. 
Uh, what about you? Do you have some quick hitters? The only one I had, because I was doing the description, <clears throat> was that Quark Little Leagues it again in that scene where he offers Kira a drink. It's so obvious. He walks in and you go, uh, what are we, 28 minutes in? Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's Little Leaguing this one. And then he just walks fucking out fucking stage left and that's it. <laughs> Let's keep an eye on this one, though, because uh, I think... I think going forward, we might learn that Rene Aubergenois has this had got the same deal as Armin mm-hmm. Shimmerman this in this season. I think his appearance in this episode was for sure little league. Ah, uh, here I am at the temple where it says I'm supposed to be, and I'm supposed to not t- not tell you what to do. I'm just here to s- just to hang out, I guess. It also would explain his disappearance from the second half of business as usual last week. <laughs> Oh, he yeah. actually really, that one scene was his contractual scene. They just made it seem like it was part of the episode. Uh, you, then you try to arrest Quark. Ah, oh, good. So then I'm, I'm out to get him the rest of the episode. And I'm on his case. And I'm, nah, I'm really. collecting clues. I'm not, wait, so I'm, not on any, I'm not on any pages. Where are my pages? <laughs> <clears throat> well, we don't, uh, we don't usually give the scores, but, uh, you know, or as we go along, I just do want to say... That after only having scored Deep Space Nine, <laughs> this week's average is only three points below last week's. So, okay, yeah, last week was, um, yeah, I mean it was atrocious. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. So if, if the two other episodes score at least nine points total, then okay. we will have met last week's average. I mean, nothing's a given here. That's the bar to clear. Uh, second place last week was Voyager. This week we watched. 1159. And you wrote about it. Did you, um, did you rewrite it? Did you write the script? I did not do a rewrite of 1159. (laughs) Okay. All right. Well, maybe next time. So I'm just going to have to describe what happened and don't worry. That'll make me mad. (laughs) Neelix has been playing Where in the World is Carmen Sandiego? And he's annoying Janeway with it in the cold open. So she asks him if he knows anything about the Millennium Gate. Mm. Some kind of self-contained ecosystem built by one of Janeway's ancestors, Shannon O'Donnell. Sure. I think I spelled Shannon O'Donnell different every single time I wrote it, by the way. <laughs> yeah, it seems like one of those where it should be pretty, should be clear. But then once you start to do it, you go, oh, how many ends? How, how many else? Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Of course, Shannon O'Donnell is played by Kate Mulgrew when we cut back. As we cut to the station wagon, Katie said, and of course, she's going to be played by, and then right into Kate Mulgrew's face. And she goes, (laughs) yep, yep. Yeah, Kate Mulgrew in the exact same age she is in Voyager and all that. (laughs) Exactly. So I paused it there and I said to Katie, we need to do some level setting on this. Remember that this is a terrible TV show. Yeah, you got to grade it on a curve, for sure. Well, Shannon O'Donnell doesn't seem to be doing as well as Janeway remembers her, Mm. as her family stories. She has no money, she runs out of gas, she rear-ends a guy, and it turns out she doesn't even have insurance, and the guy just basically has to go, great, and drive away. (laughs) He does, too. He does not demand anything from her. He just goes, well, fuck me, I guess. I mean, he tells her a cool 200 ought to take care of it, and she says, yeah, it's... I don't know what to tell you, man. I bet it would. 200 bucks. That sounds right. Um, She waits for a tow truck that I don't know how she's going to pay for, by the way, Mm -hmm. in a used bookstore. And I guess it's the only store still open 
in this rundown Indiana town of, hold on, I wrote it down somewhere, Portage Fortune Creek. Springs, dang it. Yeah. Portage, Portage Creek. <clears throat> the store owner, Henry Janeway, <sighs> is opposed to the construction of the Millennium Gate. Gave it away. They he, gave it up right at the beginning, man. They did give it up right at the beginning, but also we would have been super pissed off if the last thing the guy <laughs> said was, "Yeah, that's me, Henry Janeway." Literally the last up, line, like they walk away, uh, and then yeah. you see Mister Moss back there, and he goes, "That Janeway's a heck of a guy." He just right, looks exactly. right into the camera. <laughs> no, they give it up right at the top, like you said. Yeah. Uh, that's something that this episode has in common with the TNG that we watched this week, too. I could not <laughs> yes. believe how fast that developed. It's so fast. Uh, he thinks the Millennium Gate is a glorified shopping mall. They bought up all the all the commercial property around here. All the mom and pops are gone. He is the last holdout. I guess he owns the land this bookstore is on. Maybe Seems that's how like it goes it. in Indiana. I believe it. She offers to help him get the word out about his campaign. Uh, but he recognizes... <laughs> she I'm, glad, I'm very glad you didn't say more than that. <laughs> I've got... It's because we can talk because about it for 500 notes exist after that about... <laughs> that is one line she said. Um, another th- another thing where Katie immediately spoke up when she said the, the thing that... The crazy thing that she says. Uh, it's so good. But he recognizes that she's angling for... You know, she's trying to make a, a little pocket money or whatever, and he tells her there's no jobs, but I guess I guess what she proves that she's not a liar by saying that she really does need a job, but she doesn't need that much money or whatever. He he kind of softens on the, the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, they go to the bar with her laptop computer and talk about, you know, whether the past or the future is better, I guess. Uh-huh. Is it romantic? Not really, but... <laughs> But we already know his last name, so. <laughs> it's, oh, I have 5,000 notes about this episode. Um, they talk about how hyped everyone was for the Millennium, and then how hyped they were again when they realized the Millennium really started in 2001, because this is, we're coming up on, rolling up on New Year's Eve 2000 in this episode. Yeah. She tells him she's an explorer. Uh Though she seems more like kind of a vagrant. And then there's a rumble, and they go outside, and a bunch of cranes start rolling in. Yeah, it's like she had to say she's an explorer because everyone <laughs> in Janeway's line in her ancestry.com has to be an explorer, and they have to yeah. say it out loud with their mouth. It's very important for Janeway that that be true, and even though. This is not a flashback or a portrayal. This is not Janeway telling people how she thinks her ancestor lived. We're learning that this is not what Janeway thought. Yeah, we're see- we must be seeing truth. the real events. Exactly. We're, yeah, we're. So- I don't know how. It's like those cameras the aliens had that showed us the courtroom in Star Trek. So, yeah, so although it would be uh, a free action for Shannon O'Donnell not to think of herself as an explorer... Because that's just how Janeway thinks of all her ancestors. Nah, it turns out she does think of herself that way. 100%. Uh, there's a rumble, a bunch of cranes start rolling in. The next day, I guess, because it was night when they rolled in, uh, Henry Janeway gives an interview about how he's not selling the bookstore or whatever. And then he overhears the 
project coordinator, I guess, Mr. Moss, as you said, talking about how, well, you know, they may have to move to one of their backup sites, maybe Canton, Ohio, if this guy keeps holding out. Sure. So he thinks, ah, it's a big win. All I got to do is just not sell the store for two or three more days, and this whole thing's going to go away. And certainly the town's not going to lynch me for it. <laughs> you know, all the people who sold their land and... Yeah. Uh, now there's no stores anymore. Anyway, they... He and he and Janeway, he has a son. Mm. I don't know. What's that nerd's name? Jason? Jumanji. He, he has a son, the but... Kid, the kid was in Jumanji. I don't know. The kid has an early bedtime or something. Or <laughs> he really wants a stepmom because he fucks off. It's just Janeway and uh, Shannon O'Donnell. And they have dinner in the bookstore in front of a open folio book with a picture of Paris in there. And mm. this dude has fucking never left Indiana. <laughs> and books are his only friends. And But even as he says this to her, he feels qualified to give her life advice. And start mm-hmm. telling her she should settle down sometime. Mm-hmm. He also reveals that her car's ready and presumably has been ready all day. Yep, he's been keeping it from her, which she she picks off. And for some reason, don't yeah. seem that mad about it. Um, but he convinces her to stay a day and show his son some tricks on the computer. <laughs> I mean, she knows some tricks. She's already revealed that. She's revealed that she actually may know some quite some impressive tricks, yeah. honestly. <laughs> Now I'm angry because we're back on Voyager. <laughs> oh, I was also mad when we went back. I went, oh, God damn it. Why do we have to go back and forth? There's ab- there's literally no reason to go back and forth. The rest of the episode on Voyager, you can go ahead and say all of it afterward. But the, the all it is is like, ancestors are cool, right? But sometimes <laughs> they're not what you thought they were. Oh, well. <laughs> Basically it. <laughs> yeah, in this one, uh, in this cut back to Voyager, Janeway shows Seven a picture of the Millennium Gate and asks her, to reconstruct some of the lost and damaged data about this project from the bad old days. And Seven asked her to her face <clears throat> if this is an appropriate use of her time. And why well, are you giving me a personal mission for you now? <laughs> Janeway says that she she smelled that shit. She was uh, she lit up over in her alcove and it smelled like shit. And it's like, uh, like if you had a boss and he was like, my kid sucks at trigonometry. You you did math, right? Could you, I know this isn't your job, but could you yeah. just help him, just help him figure out how to work with some of these trig identities? Yeah, right now during work hours. And also I'll still yeah. expect you to be as productive oh, he, as you should. Oh, he's been. in conference room too. Yeah. Um, Janeway tells her about how O'Donnell was an inspiration to her and it's more about her character than the fact that she has a very you know only a very small amount of her genetic code in her etc mm-hmm. um neelix catches her catches seven studying up in the mess hall and she's also been looking up her own ancestors and then because neelix i guess is real he's he knows some tricks on the computer too the <laughs> seven who was a computer doesn't know yeah, yeah no <laughs> So he, te- he teaches her how to find a family portrait of Shannon O'Donnell in a Ferengi database. Sure. Yeah. All right. Back in the past. Uh, O'Donnell watches a news report about Canton getting all excited and wooing the project. And all of a sudden, this guy Moss comes into the bar and reveals that he used to work with NASA. He, he knows that O'Donnell washed out 
didn't make mm. the cut as an astronaut, etc. Um, but she is an engineer, and he offers her a job on the project if she can convince Janeway to sell his store. Then she wakes up from a moon landing dream in the back of the bookstore and uh, goes down and talks to Henry's kid Jason about his dead mom for a minute. He thinks the Millennium Gate's a pretty cool idea. Yeah. And when Henry comes back, it's clear that Shannon O'Donnell has started to come around to this Millennium Gate idea herself. She thinks the experimental biosphere is a real neat project. She tells him about this job offer she got. They argue, and he sends her on her way, mm-hmm. and uh, and Jason runs out after her. He's mad at his dad, but we got to go back to Voyager now. Oh, good. Yeah, I'm glad we visited these idiots again. Yeah, 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 yeah. And this time, we see that Janeway is holding some kind of personal <laughs> history party in her quarters. It's, she is so obsessed. She wasted Seven's time earlier, and then she's like, everybody cancel whatever plans you had after your shift. You're coming to my quarters to talk about my great-great-great-grandma. Yeah, she has invited a very specific set of people to come have this party in her quarters. Harry Kim is there. He's talking about some ancestor of his who took a six-month jag on a sleeper ship <laughs> as the only awake crew member. Discovered pulled the a fast one, were peed in everybody's to. stuff, etc. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Discovered the plant they were heading to was a sensor echo, turned the ship around and went home. Yeah. Uh, Schmollis comes in, so you, Matthew, are a liar. You said he wasn't in it. Oh, well, I, I assumed, honestly. I was, I really thought he wasn't going to be in it. And in fact, up to that point, I was like, I was right. No fucking schmollis. And then he walked in and I was like, Phew, this fucking guy got me again. Anyway, he starts to talk about his ancestors, but everyone is so uninterested in this that Seven of all people changes the subject to start asking about Tom Paris's ancestors because she knows he must have some animal. He hates his dad. But no, <laughs> turns out he's got a bunch of ancestors he venerates as well. So yes. that's probably how he got invited to this party. Yeah, he knows all about all just all the Mars business. Anything about yeah, he, Mars, ask him. He knows so much about it that he realizes that Janeway's story about the uh, Shannon O'Donnell being important to the early Mars missions doesn't actually make any sense. Mm-hmm. And that shocks Janeway. And she finally goes to do some research on her ancestors. And then Chakotay comes in and she starts, it almost turns into something where she starts asking him, what will historians think of us? And I want to say there was actually an episode about it. <laughs> We've done this one. We did this one. and They didn't mm-hmm. like you. It wasn't great, and it had kind of a fucked take about the Holocaust Museum, actually. <laughs> it was an episode that Matthew gave a zero. <laughs> so. Um, anyway, I guess the takeaway from this scene is that Janeway's a little bummed out. But we're back in Portage Creek. Oh, good. Moss reveals that uh, he's not actually a villain, and Shannon O'Donnell's job offer still stands. Gives her the card of his associate in Canton. But at this point, Jason busts in. He's worried about his dad. He's holed up in the shop, surrounded by angry villagers or whatever. She she says tough shit and gets in her car. But then her cookies don't taste good. Yeah. So she fucking turns it around, walks right through a news briefing about how they're going to have to move to Canton, goes into the bookstore. She tells him... She was thinking of him. She'd like to stick around for a while, but she can't work in a bookstore when she could be a consulting engineer on the Millennium Gate. And because we need this episode to wrap up, yes, he agrees to just open a new bookstore in the mall. Yeah, and 
steps out at one minute to midnight to a yeah. cheering crowd. He was he feeling very extreme about this for a very long time, but <laughs> now why but if not? He, I want to but just move the store. What if he, he what if he could get it wet though? Yep, that's exactly. What if he I guess, I guess we're in? supposed to think that. Yes. Yeah. Uh, anyway, this crowd, uh, like Matthew in news radio, believes that a business deal is a contract with a fairy godmother. <laughs> and so the fact that this dude steps out at one minute to midnight is exciting for them. Yes. <clears throat> Matthew, we're dealing, we're dealing with a major corporation, not magical fairies. <laughs> uh, we cut back to Voyager. Neelix has called Janeway to the mess hall. Everybody is celebrating a brand new holiday. It's April 22nd. Ancestors Eve, Eve, Ancestors Eve, not Ancestors the Day Eve, the Ancestors the Day. Is that say Ancestors Day? What's happening with this? Yeah, he gives her a framed copy of the picture she's already seen. <laughs> it was the only of one. Shannon O'Donnell and her it was family. the only one. <laughs> um. Everyone tells Janeway that it doesn't matter. Shannon O'Donnell was really important because she inspired Janeway, which I thought she already understood because she told Seven basically that same thing. Mm-hmm. But I guess not because she had to learn it here. And then we cut to... It's the most hack shit. We cut to the picture being taken. Mm. And then credits. So good. They put Janeway... They put Kate Mulgrew in old age makeup for Just- this fucking absolutely fucked out thing of cut from the picture to a scene of the picture being taken. Just uh, Janeway in old age makeup and 19 gingers. Yep. Unbelievable. Yep. <clears throat> so what's this episode about? Bring the generations together with a gift from Ancestry.com <laughs> I went to Ancestry.com to find out what this episode was about. Uh-huh. Did you know you can build a family tree and uncover your story by starting a free trial? And save up to $50 if you sign up in the next eight days on special Ancestry DNA trademark offers. In all seriousness, Ancestry.com seems to have trademarked every use of the word Ancestry because we live in hell. Oh, they're villainous for sure. There's trademarks on everything on that website and it's all just regular words you use every day. (laughs) I don't understand it. Um, I gave it a one because I don't care that ancestors are great and you can learn about them and then they can inspire you with their stories. That's nothing. That's not a take. Yeah. What about you? I mean, look, I guess the show is saying it doesn't matter if your ancestors aren't in the history books as long as they inspired you. Mm. But even that's a real wet take, because personal family history like this is such a waspish concern. Yeah, it is. Like, okay, Matt, maybe you and I come from a bad family, and lots of other people have a famous ancestor in their ranks or whatever. Uh But also, like, what about all the people whose family histories are inaccessible because of slavery, colonialism, genocide, (laughs) etc., right? like For all the good reasons. You realize people who know a lot about their ancestors and who uh, venerate specific ancestors and think of them as an inspiration. Mm-hmm. Unless you're talking about my grandfather, yeah. this is this is some wasp shit, right? A hundred thousand percent. So many more percents. So 
I mean, I gave it a three because there's a take, but like, I don't, I'll care about it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Look, I know. I mean, like, there's nothing wrong with the take. Yeah. It doesn't matter if your ancestors aren't in the history books. Yeah. Absolutely right. They were probably interesting people who had their own keys and everything. That's right. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 kind of nothing. Okay. And well, if it, listen, don't get involved with people who are big into their ancestors like this. Just yeah, people who just want to talk about it and have ancestor parties. Nah, don't do that. Mm-mm. Make whatever excuse, whatever the excuse that you've been saving because you know you need a good one to get away from your commanding officer. That's the time to use that excuse. Yeah. Tell them you have Yarmfell syndrome or something. And the doctor will have to check you out and make sure. But you'll miss that party. That's what matters. (laughs) And and listen, the doctors are never mad if you go in and you think you have Yarmfell syndrome. And they're like, I think you just have gas. Like, uh, It seems like it might be heartburn. You should probably just cool it on the spicy stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, execution then. How did this episode do? I mean, what do you say about this episode? <laughs> I Captain's have so much logs. to say. That's the answer. So Captain's, Captain's logs? No. This time, it's a, just a woman journaling into her voice recorder. <sighs> um, everyone is suddenly caught up in history on Voyager. Like, that's the premise that we start with, is that Neelix and Tom Paris have been playing history. I'm only history sort of geography. kidding that it seems like they're trying to convince people at home to go look into their family histories. Uh-huh. Like, I, they might actually be selling a product. Like, look, I get it. Voyager's a small ship and stuff gets around. There was that time they were all playing that Rebellion Hollow novel. Yeah, sure. But this seems a lot harder. It's like, hey, you know what everyone's doing right now? Chess. <laughs> you know what they're doing? <laughs> everyone's playing chess now on Voyager. That's kind of the thing right now. Yep. <laughs> um... Janeway has a casual night in her quarters with a very specific and small crew list. No one asks Chakotay about his ancestors yes. or Bolana Torres about hers. Yeah, This is a feel-good party only, and Janeway has invited certain people. Yes. <laughs> uh, at the end, we zoom in on the picture to see the picture being taken. It's all very cute. This episode mm. is very cute and it's very pleased with itself. And none of it has any substance. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't fucking matter to yeah. the show of Voyager. What yeah. difference does it take it out of the canon? What has changed? Oh, yeah. I mean, really, nothing. anything at all. Uh, but also, Matt, the Malon aren't there wrecking up the place. That's <laughs> very nice. I do agree. It's nice not to see them. When Shmullis mm. came in, I thought I might see the Malon, though. No one hallucinates? No, because, again, this is all. this is not flashback stuff at all. No one says nanoprobes? I can't confirm that. It, they've acted because they've said this episode is so unlike every other Voyager episode. It doesn't have all of the usual Voyager flaws either. <laughs> so at the end of, of the day, I did give it four points. Wow. Okay. All right. So you really were grading on a curve. This was uh, I, <laughs> this was compared to the shittiness of Voyager. This wasn't the worst. Look, when you start a Voyager episode, you are you have steeled yes. yourself. Yes. Your buttocks are clenched. Yes. You may have a stick between your teeth so you don't bite your tongue. Yeah, sure. You, you've got to be like, listen, my wife, who I love, mm-hmm. I am sorry to inform you that I need to waste an hour of our lives watching Voyager. I will not blame you if you do not want to watch this Voyager, and, but unfortunately I must watch it. 
and then probably we'll put something else on. And every time you look over for the next 40 minutes, I'll have an absolutely blank expression as I try to think of what I want to say about it. <laughs> and I see here is the difference. I was typing furiously the entire time. <laughs> <laughs> With well, all kinds well, of expressions. How did you think they did execution wise? Well, I gave it a one. I see. My obvious question was, why should anybody care about this episode? Why? It's cool to know about your ancestors, even if they aren't the heroes you thought they were. That's cool. Thanks for wasting my fucking time, Brannon. <laughs> this dumb old fuck, this Janeway guy, is a conspiracy nut. Yes. But also, fuck capitalism. He's also, by the way... I'm with him on that. Probably about... Uh, 12 years older than Shannon O'Donnell. He's like, all old and gray. Don't look into it, but there's an age difference here. I was so confused. They were like, it's a ghost town. The whole town is shut down, etc., etc. But then so many bustling extras. Oh, in yeah, every yeah, yeah. scene, people just hurrying here to and fro out in the cold. And you're like, I thought the whole town shut down. Where's everyone going? It's a shutdown town where they have a news camera pointed at his shop. 24 hours a day on New Year's Eve. <laughs> there was so much traffic when she enters town. Just, just yes. bumper to bumper traffic. There's a guy walking on the street that she could yell at about where can I get gas? And he was like, fucking they, get back on the highway. Get back on the highway, idiot. There's nothing here. And he, they passed 40 other people. Yeah. I, I didn't understand why they kept saying the town was shut down. I could clearly see that it was not. Yeah, they shouldn't have shot it on a back lot that was meant to be a New York City neighborhood, huh? <laughs> get the feeling there was some uh some memory alpha research i always read the memory alpha sometimes i want i want to know if the producers think they had a message at all (laughs) that probably is helpful look as we discovered in oh you're talking about the one where there wasn't enough sci-fi stuff in it and he didn't think it was cool yeah and someone to watch over me he was excited he was excited that there was no take. Oh, right. Yeah. Remember, was it that one? Which one was it? I don't know. I, the last one I know taked appears to be in Purgatory Shadow, but I don't think... Oh, no, Power Play I know taked. That's what it was. That's, <laughs> That's the true. one where they were excited. <laughs> Again, the reveal so early on that this old coot is Mr. Janeway. <laughs> I had to spend the whole time thinking about how these two mutts were going to be dragging each other's bones... Across <laughs> the dog bed. Okay. Kibbles. Kibbles. Dog stuff. <laughs> I why well, I didn't want to think about that. Just have them do their romance or whatever, and then at the end, I would have preferred if they had done that, look into the camera and say Mr. Janeway. Um, there are one-act plays, and then there is the one-page play they wrote for this last scene. Where seventy percent of the way through this one page, he still spits angrily at her, and refuses to reconsider anything. <laughs> but then a half paragraph later, they're promising to be together forever. It's fucking. It's everything about this episode. All right, I'm gonna have to knock my score down to three. It's everything about TV, this episode man. is this is the end. <laughs> the end of Futurama, the <laughs> Futurama episode where they show you 
an episode of this scary door, but it's 20 <laughs> seconds long. And it's just a guy who goes, I've mixed together the most evil parts of all the worst the monsters. Guy bursts out. And the guy, the and, and nude man bursts out of the tube and goes, it turns out it's man. <laughs> yes, exactly. A, a thing I've said of a hundred thousand times since <laughs> I saw that episode. From the moment that the guy goes, I'm Henry Janeway. <laughs> You're like, all right. <laughs> yeah, I know what happened here. <laughs> We're doing this this whole everything about this uh, half of the show that's set in Indiana is mm-hmm. a cut in front to another show of a sitcom where they have to get across the idea that it's a cheesy sitcom or something. Yep. Yeah. Uh, look, all the other sections are a huge you and know full what, of criticism. The other thing as that well. it's like, Matthew, and I'm sorry to interrupt you again, yeah. but the other thing that it's like is Tim Meadows saying essentially to the camera. Dewey Cox has to think about his entire <laughs> life before he goes on stage. Yes. And then the first flashbacks begin. Yes, exactly. Yeah, I was going to say, every one of these sections is large and full of criticism, so I'll just end this one here. It's a one. It's just a not a good episode. <laughs> Nothing about it was good. It made me very happy to write about how bad it was. <laughs> it was a terrible, terrible ride. So it charmed you, but only because of the trauma of doing this show. Yes, exactly right. I'm telling you, I was having if a you did fantastic it, time watching if these. you If you were just watching this alone and you knew you weren't going to have anyone, you couldn't call someone up and be like, hey, remember that one episode <laughs> oh, yeah. of Voyager? I would be miserable. Totally be miserable. miserable to only watch, the yeah. idea that I get to write all of this down and then say it into a microphone <laughs> made that fun. But the whole time, every time something happened, I just went, what? Yeah. <laughs> just so excited. Uh, world building. The Millennium Gate. It's a big old uh, tower looking thing. But they say it's some kind of self-contained biosphere. It was the model for the first, what'd you say, Mars colony? Whatever. Yes. <clears throat> Another Bolian shitting joke. The <laughs> Bolians, when they've made first contact with humanity, they have concerns about the human human plumbing. And the toothiness. Right. The second time they've made a Bolian, Bolians do weird shit in the bathroom joke on this show. Yeah, that is odd. Um, databases from around the year 2000 are uh, shitty and hard to find, or like any information, I guess, because of WW3. That's oh, true, though, man. Go ahead and go ahead and now in 2022 try to find an English translation of the modern dog song Tarsawong. <laughs> yeah, is, is that a tricky Stuff one? Stuff from around the year 2000 is hard to find. That's true. Uh, early internet. Yeah. Uh, but the Ferengi had some records for some reason. I don't remember what he says. Um, they were trying to, they wanted to sell it to people who were nostalgic about early space flight. Yeah, but like how'd they get it? That's what I mean. Like, Oh, yeah. How'd they get they, it? What they did is they collated it from free Federation sources for sure, and then they tried to sell it to you, Ancestry.com. Ancestry.com. <laughs> Trademark. Um, but yeah, I gave it another one, because I don't know what to do with any of that information. I mean, yeah, you're right. Like, the only other thing I noted was uh, talk about the sleeper ship voyage, etc. Just a waste of a year of everyone's life. Yes, there once was a time when they had sleeper ships. We yeah. already knew that from, uh, you know, that one. Space Seed. Well, Space Seed first, yes, and then the one where the... The guy's like, the Atlanta Braves suck so bad at baseball. And then by the time that episode aired, they were fucking 13-time champs or whatever. Wasn't that like a weird saddle? 
was it a sleeper ship or a satellite that had gone missing? What was that? No, it was. They it, remember it was a fad to go up there and and I guess it wasn't a sleeper ship and that they weren't meant to wake up. It was they were like, yeah, they were dying of terminal diseases and they hoped to be awakened in the future when people could cure their diseases or whatever. Yeah, but I'm not going back to my notes, but they didn't find that shit orbiting Earth. No, they found it out in the fucking wastes. Yeah, just it, it was a whoopsie. It, it flew away. It flew away so far the Enterprise found it. Yeah, that ain't good. That don't make no sense. I mean, it, look, at the end of that season, they were back around Earth because of the conspiracy stuff. Oh, I mean, and that the was Rom- the end of that season. They were season. near the Romulan neutral zone, so like... I guess, I don't know, but it seems uh, well, like... We know the Romulan neutral zone's pretty close to Earth. I mean, ain't gonna take like the Voyager probe to just be like so many thousands of years to get yeah, that far yeah, yeah. out? I, think, I don't know. I think we have to assume this thing was faster than the Voyager probe. And that it whoopsied faster. It whoopsied yeah. so fast out of the fucking, out of the solar system. <laughs> Um, yeah, anyway, so, like you, it's a one for world building. Yeah, not a lot there. What about characterization, though? That was obviously a big part of the quarter of the episode that took place <laughs> on Voyager. Yeah, well, like I already said, they deliberately didn't show us anyone with complicated ancestors or complicated <laughs> feelings about their ancestors. Even Tom Paris doesn't talk about his troubled relationship with his dad. Mm-hmm. So... Look, do you want to know the reason? They initially wrote this episode to just be the Indiana stuff, and then someone got cold feet, and they said, what? we can't do an episode where it's not on Voyager at all. I mean, I hate to say it, but it would have been better just with the weird old gross Indiana stuff. Yeah, I agree. The stuff on Voyager is so worthless. <laughs> um, Janeway is a real hero worshiper. Yeah. We've seen it with her idolization of Jim Kirk-era Starfleet. We've seen it with Amelia Earhart. Now this old Irish broad. Sure. And possibly for the first time ever, she gives a thought to her historical legacy. She doesn't, (laughs) of course, know how bad it's going to be. It's going to be so bad, man. Uh, Nobody else really has character beats this week. Yeah. I mean, for one thing, 30 of the 45 minutes take place in the past, as you said. Yep. And for another... Everyone else is just there to talk about how cool ancestors are. Like <laughs> Seven's been looking into her history and she knows yeah. all about this old Swede or whatever. Right. But like what but how but we never learn that it makes her feel any different about what was taken from her when she was a Borg or anything, yeah. right? Yeah, even and, one thing. Just a name of th- anything. Any one thing we did not learn. And Neelix doesn't say, of course, my family was killed in the war and my planet destroyed, so yeah. I don't have access to my records. You guys remember Jadrell? Did, did we talk about that? Yeah. Uh, so they took very, they took almost no opportunity to do any character work with the Voyager crew. And again, a lot of it takes place in the past. Uh, I'm going to give it two. Okay. Yeah, I agreed it to two. Neelix is still desperate not to get kicked off the damn ship. <laughs> so he's got all this. I've studied about your hometown and I hear you guys have two Arby's. <laughs> bull, all this bullcrap that he's doing. The one on the interstate, of course, and then the good Arby's. <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's quite some town you came from. Um, Janeway has some very weird white ancestor propaganda shit going on. Yep. Seven asks Janeway, yo, we're busy. Is this something you want me to do right now? 
And Janeway tells her to look up her family tree on Ancestry.com post-haste and to eat shit, too. Listen, I know you're responsible for finding us the fastest and most direct way home. <laughs> but, uh, you know about... Uh, I've signed up for Ancestry.com, but I forgot my password. Can you... You know how to look up stuff in a database under <laughs> subheadings, probably. That's right. Then Janeway's the sad sack that everybody else has to cheer up. Because, you know, she's real bummed her ancestor wasn't a cool Mars astronaut or whatever is supposed to have happened. TP says, Behold, the modern wonder of the world. Chinese are good at math. <laughs> About Borg knowing how to do things. Then later... He's like, the doctor isn't a person, he's a pube trimmer who fucking sucks at photography. <laughs> and then later, psh, your great-great-grandmother was a fucking liar, bro. I know everybody who ever worked on Mars stuff, and your great-great-great-great-grandma wasn't there. That's his entire run in this episode. It is. He's like, there's no O'Donnells. And at no, at no point does Janeway say, well, she probably changed her name to Janeway. <laughs> that would have been a good one. Were there any Janeways good comeback? there? And then and then Tom Paris goes, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, there were, actually. <laughs> but he seriously, every scene he's in, he just shits on somebody. You just go, again, I ask this about all of the 90s. Well, the later two 90s tricks. We, were we supposed to hate them? <laughs> Did they write them so we at home would go, I fucking hate these people. Look, he's a real Chandler. <laughs> he's Chandler being in space I'm sure that's what they said they wanted wait was that show first I'm sure oh, that's a good question this episode aired in 1999 yeah but we're five seasons in I have no idea when Friends started yeah but it could have been 94 it could have been I'm just saying maybe someone had the, the thought Chandler being in space and that's what yeah. we got I mean we know that his specific character was Nick Locarno so <laughs> We actually don't have to speculate that much about the creation of the character of Tom Paris. Is there a pre-Chandler bring that maybe Nick Lacarno was supposed to be in space? That's, that's a good question. Yeah, uh, yeah anyway, um, not great. I don't really actually really have good character notes. I'm kind of wondering how it got it to. <laughs> I, I mean, the characters aren't really in it much, and they suck ass. But I'll leave it as a two. Two's not a good score. It's fine. Um... What about quick hitters? So, like you said, I've noticed this before, and I just never write it down. Voyager almost never starts with a captain's log or comes back from credits with a captain's log. It's like they said, that's some TOS bullshit. We're not doing that. I know TNG wanted to wanted to keep that little quirk, but like we're not going to do that ever. I mean, sometimes they'll just, just do it. Chief of Chief Medical Officer's personal log. I've been getting it regularly, <laughs> like lately. It's happening. Or sometimes I like to just start with, letter from jail. <laughs> Dear Dad, I'm in jail. But then also, we're going to see this scene again later a little bit different. Dear Dad, I was playing Captain Proton on the hall. Actually, <laughs> let me tell you how my Captain Proton session went on the holiday. Playing Captain Proton, it was a pretty good day. Me and, uh, me and Harry were playing. Uh, this car she's got, it's not a Kingswood, but it's a, a similar breed. <laughs> yeah, I, in in my description of it, I did say Jamie was driving our car. Our car. 
Again, that guy's totally cool just leaving the scene of the accident without as much as a fucking 10 spot. Yeah, just goes, I guess I get nothing, and walks away. This old dude afraid of corporate hitmen, this Janeway guy, he was a bad guy on Lost. A recurring bad guy on the show Lost. Uh-huh. And the whole time it made me wonder if he was going to steal one of her kidneys or something. <laughs> yes, he comes in, he has bad guy energy, and then he's just yep. not bad. He's, he's just, just not like, a bad guy, he's just kind of a weirdo. He's like, actually, I was. I never really intended to hold that job over your head like that. <laughs> You, you said, oh, but I have to convince Henry Janeway, and I said... Oh, no, 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 no. I'm talking about like Janeway. That. I'm talking oh, about Janeway oh, okay. himself. Janeway was a bad guy on Lost who did some heinous shit on that show. Oh. And the whole time I was wondering if he was going to do more heinous shit because I've been programmed to see I the wonder, show that came later. I wonder if Katie never watched Lost. She's usually pretty sharp on those things. On the casting uh, yeah. things? Yeah. Uh, we all know that Marjan would say Mr. Moss is Drew Carey's brother. Because oh. most of her references are 90s fresh. <laughs> That's who you were talking about, Mr. Moss. Yeah. Who you again, uh, you're yes, right. is big, evil, bad corporate guy until later on he's just kind of like, I don't know, I wanted to build it here, but it's fine, I guess. Not a big deal. Build it somewhere else. Um. All right. <laughs> At this point in the episode... Shannon O'Donnell says, we can email every computer within a hundred miles. You know, by saying to the computer firmly, email everybody in central Indiana, execute. I mean, everything about that is so, <laughs> it's so, it's so bafflingly wrong. It's like, like what do you mean? What do you mean email email you have a computer. computer. <laughs> right, we can do it with a computer. Like, what? We had computers for a long time. I don't think they can do that. You mean Internet. Like, it's so, it's so wrong, like, it's so wrong that the, whoever wrote this thinks that the recipient of an email is a computer and not a person. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, it's true. They just email every that computer within a hundred miles. And it's uh -huh. like, you, even the concept of email is bad. You think it's a thing a computer does to another computer. <laughs> I have a computer, so I can email every computer, every computer. within a hundred miles of here. But uh, more than that is a lot of work. It's uh, more oh, than a yeah, hundred yeah. miles you can't really do. So let's start with a hundred miles. Like I don't need anyone's email address. That's nothing. No, it's a it's a radius thing. You just it's an email blast. Have you ever heard of an email blast? And uh -huh. it just blasts out in a big radius all around you. But it's just like it just shows that who like this is nineteen ninety nine. Matthew, this episode aired in May of nineteen ninety nine. We had a computer. The last with people the in America at that point to have the internet, and it's like, but whoever wrote this is just—they just know the words, and yep. they know that it's a computer thing that you do on computers, and that's all they know about. <laughs> yeah, dude, we were still very much in the era of fifty-year-old screenwriters who did not know what internet was and weren't going to look it up. Honestly, no. Well, you'd need a computer for that. <laughs> that's right. Well, they're all Tom P. Baxters. A bunch they, of there are a bunch of business visionary Tom P. Baxters. Yeah, they don't have a computer yet, but they're going to get one. You better believe. Yeah, I mean, later on, she has a cool gaming chat with a kid from Jumanji. Yes. That also oh, rang that, extremely hollow. Is that kid from Jumanji? Yeah, it's a kid from Jumanji. That's the little brother in Jumanji, and um, 
and it also rang very hollow, but it wasn't as just on the face embarrassing and, and fucking hilarious as her comment about emailing every computer within 100 miles. Oh, no, when she says, um, you know, the fifth on the fifth level of Matrix of Doom, the trick is to... Uh, Throw a flare. Shoot, shoot up a flare before you enter the Steel Fortress. Mm-hmm. It's no, a pretty it's sophisticated game if shooting, a, if shooting a flare does something in 1999. That's right. But, yeah, so, you're right. That doesn't sound entirely credible, but it's, like, still. Yeah, this, uh... Oh, man, can you imagine if she gave an actual hot tip on Mist or something? <laughs> She's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, which Doom port are you playing? <laughs> um, man, women be like, I'm gonna bring this big old bag. I'm gonna only put one laptop in it. <laughs> All the time, too, man. Like, my wife does it. It's crazy. And then when I help her to pack her things, because we had a fight about Drew Carey's brother, I just pick up the <laughs> empty bag and I put in her laptop. No power cord or anything, man. And she knows to leave. <laughs> She doesn't have any other stuff. You know what women's purses are like. Just empty except for one laptop. All the time. They never have anything in there. I couldn't believe it when he picks up her empty bag, slides her laptop in, because we know it's the only important thing about her. Uh Uh-huh. And she walks out. Not even her voice. Well, I guess maybe her voice recorder was still in there, huh? I mean, it looked empty. It looked like an extremely empty bag. I know voice recorders are pretty small, but I think we're supposed to think that was an empty fucking bag. (laughs) I mean, Moss knows she's been living out of her car. Maybe uh, that's where all her stuff is. <laughs> Maybe. Why does Mr. Moss get to tell the cops to let this lady through to another man's bookstore? Yeah, it's a good, very good question. Is he the cops? Let her through. Listen, they they leveraged their whole small town economy on this Millennium <laughs> Gate. That guy basically, could, he could kill he a man. As cops. long as it wasn't the mayor. He could kill someone who wasn't that important. Oh, I mean, he could do a... Um, the co- listen, the cops said it wasn't a big deal because they weren't even supposed to be here, so they're kind of like not people. <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> they just said he just wasn't important, is all. Um. Yeah, I mean, he could definitely pull a roadhouse on Janeway, where he and the town get together to murder a man. And man, all... I ain't never seen Roadhouse. How many times do I have to tell you this? Well, you, I'm, needed to, I'm telling you, you need to watch it because it posits that there is but... a world where bouncers are extremely famous and there's like a network of bouncers and where there's like a mentor bouncer and a mentee bouncer and they learn cool fucking moves like how to pull people's windpipes out and shit. <laughs> and then the whole town gets together to murder a man and they all lie to the cops at the end and that's the, we feel good. At the end, we're like, great, that guy had it coming. I mean, and that's does, the movie. It does sound like maybe I should watch that, but still. It's an astounding film. Um, this fucker is, uh, this fucker Janeway. He's yeah. allergic to chocolate, and I don't want to allergy shame, but fucking figures. <laughs> I went, of course he is. Of course he's allergic to chocolate. Look at this fucking guy. All right, but. If he had said chocolate's a migraine trigger for me, you would have been a lot more sympathetic, huh? I mean, obviously. Right, so maybe people <laughs> who are allergic probably have a little more sympathy. I did say situation. ahead of time that I didn't want an allergy shame. All right, but then it seemed like you did. But it fucking figures. Kind of like me 
implying that the doctor of the USS Abraham Lincoln isn't that great. But what I, ju- <laughs> I just mean, that's not the guy to there, go to an actual specialist. I'm just, so just it wouldn't to, make sense to go doctor. to him. It just wouldn't occur to me to go to him if I already had a cancer diagnosis. Yeah. And I found myself on the ship. No, you'd probably want to go. I want to go see like the, the fighters. Go see how they got all them fighters on underneath there. How they get them down there. Show me them fighters. Like, are they all packed in? Can I smell the jet fuel? That's what I want. Um, The last lines in the script were, then old lady Janeway (laughs) holds up her grandchild, played by one of the Howards. If it's not a Howard or a Howard type, we can't do the episode. (laughs) They really zoomed in on that little kid. What was that about? Is he someone? I mean, presumably that's Janeway's actual ancestor. What about the lady? The lady wasn't her actual ancestor. No, I mean, well, listen, it's a it's a real good question whether she is or not. Because, I, for her to be Janeway's ancestor, <clears throat> that middle aged woman and the even older man had to have had some kids, huh? I mean, yeah. Either either that, or she's descended from Jason. <clears throat> oh, and Shannon O'Dell's not her actual genetic ancestor. Yeah, but you saw those fucking ginger fucks. All those ginger fucks that were yeah. in that. that come yeah. on. Am I not allowed to say that anymore, by the way? Uh, Can I not say that? No, ginger fucks. <laughs> You're thinking it's iffy. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, I'll, um... Uh, it's a situational thing, then. Uh, that's it for me, man. Uh, just a astounding, baffling time. Yeah. Um... Matt, I'm surprised to learn that the guy who plays Henry Janeway is an actual actor. <laughs> because I said, where did they find this guy? Doesn't he know on Star Trek, if you're going to say your name is Henry Janeway, you have to really make a meal of it. Yes, he did not know clearly. He didn't know he, what that was supposed to be. He should have hit Janeway much harder and maybe direct to camera. <laughs> Now we have both suggested that he say it directly into the camera. (laughs) (laughs) Because we want the show to be self-aware and we want to give it points for that. We want to give points. That's what people don't understand. The people who are always criticizing us for how hard we are on Star Trek. Yerg. I want to give them points, but they just refuse to take them. (laughs) Um. We have suggested that no one on this show understood computers, but they did correctly predict that Y2K wasn't going to be a big deal. Yes, they get points for that. When did this air, you said? May of 99. May of 99? Yeah. And there's a line in here where they're like, and then when it didn't even turn off one light. (laughs) I was like, yeah, I mean, basically. That's basically correct. Yes, nothing happened at all. Except we had lots of Y2K supplies. Um, Yeah. Boy, I've actually said almost everything just in butting in and interrupting you, but, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I, I was very surprised when we cut to, after the cranes moved in, we cut to the next day, and it, I was like, where did Janeway stay the night? Yeah. The only set that we've seen is the bookstore set. I think she literally so, was just reclined in his chair with her coat over her. I mean, probably. Uh, that I turns out there's a little bed back there, right? Oh, maybe, yeah. She, that's where she gets up and goes and gives that cool Matrix of Doom tip. <laughs> uh, for no reason that I can discern, they they have a device where the bookstore is being watched by a news camera. 
there's no news reporter. It's just a Chiron that says like deadline looms or whatever. And then uh-huh. there's a countdown to New Year's. Live and look just, at this piece of it's shit. Pointed at the front of the dude's shop all day. <laughs> and it's just like, it's not, that's not there. So we have an explanation as to why we're seeing this. Cause we've been inside the shop. There ain't news cameras in there. Like <laughs> it's, it's a very odd device. Like I said, this episode was a little too cute. Yeah, it's almost like they predicted what future web streaming would be like, and that you could just have a, a news cam on a news yeah. site just pointed at an object if you wanted to. You wouldn't have to broadcast it on the big TV or whatever. But back I... then, yeah, it's just on the news. Just here's the, here's, this is it. This is the shop. And then also, when he walks out at the end, he doesn't say it. The crowd starts cheering the second the door opens at 11.59. <laughs> like, he's not going to come out and say, I just wanted to say, well, Hardy, fuck <laughs> you one more time. <laughs> or eat just shit. come or, out and uh, fucking bare his fucking oh, cold cheeks. I don't know why you guys are so excited. My clock says it's already midnight. Oh, is it not midnight yet? I only oh, came out because I thought it was midnight. <laughs> oh, yeah. I didn't come out here to give you guys good. Anyway, they just cheers and it comes out because <laughs> the show's fucking over and everybody knows it. Uh, oh, for God. best actor. Hey, I, who do uh, who wrote this fucking thing? Who's fucking responsible for this episode? Uh, that's a good question. Just the part in Indiana. I don't need to know who wrote the part on Voyager. That was clearly nobody. I think the answer to that is nobody wrote it. <laughs> they kind of just improvised it. Yeah, I think they just said. Remember, it's about how cool ancestors are, and everyone just fucking yeah, freewheeled that one around. <clears throat> uh, story and script. This episode was inspired by an undeveloped Q episode for Voyager, thought up by John DeLancey. Oh, no! And was originally to have included a recurring character from The Next Generation. For a while, Brannon and I were thinking about doing Janeway's distant ancestor and Q in the year 2000. Oh, God. We also thought about Janeway's distant ancestor and Guinan, and this might have been a whoopee episode. Hmm. Huh? That's so, different. Yeah. I'm kind of int- I'm interested in that episode. Yeah, well, they didn't do it. No. Okay. Well, John Delancey and Brandon, I guess, is what we're talking about here. So fuck those guys, as always. Uh, best actor I have written an A, and worst actor uh, I have written. Shouldn't Shannon O'Donnell have been even slightly different from Janeway? <laughs> Wouldn't that have been a nice no. actor's challenge for Kate Mulgrew to play an even slightly different character? Who's different yep. from Janeway in any regard? Yep. I mean, was she different in that she accepted the decaf coffee? Oh yeah, that, I that guess supposed to be that. a big personality shift. She even has to tell him that her imaginary exploring ship is a rocket ship. Uh huh. Yeah. I listen. I'm just saying that actors really like it when they get to play a mirror <laughs> version of themselves yeah, or whatever something to right? dig into you get to just be yeah give them something pervert bashir of the uh, from the alternate universe <laughs> they just made her janeway again yeah well that's what, that's why we needed to have a mirror universe episode on voyager thank fucking god we didn't get that <laughs> guys spoiler alert we didn't get one of those and it's really good i don't want to know about mirror tom paris and harry kim Mirror uh, Chicote, no, can you imagine? I, just, I want to tell you the one I'm happiest about is no Mirror Chicote. Mirror Chicote. Can you imagine how nasty and dark Rimmer Mirror Chicote would be? <laughs> He's just like he fucking pulls somebody's eyeball out and goes, Kuchimoya. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> his so uh his vision quest device caused people to go crazy and die. <laughs> Thank God. Jesus. Uh 
The winner last week was the next generation. Yeah. I wonder. I wonder. I've already seen that it was not your winner this week. No, but it was a winner in its own way. Um, Well, this week we watched Ethics. Jordy and Worf are reliving a poker hand. Worf got bluffed by Counselor Troy and Jordy knows it because of his visor. He's a cheater. Cheats at cards. He cheats at cards, it turns out. And then he tries to make it Worf's fault, by the way, by <laughs> saying maybe you should bring a deck that's not invisible in, to infrared wavelengths. Or Dummy. Like you didn't uh, ask the computer to replicate one of those? Uh, and they're looking for a chloronide leak in one of the cargo bays. Um, they can't find it on a regular tricorder, so Jordy walks away to get something called a dino scan. But I think that's not a machine. <laughs> Because there's a little bit of background uh, where, as Worf's walking around, continuing to scan with a tricorder, even though Jordy just said that's not on. I guess he wants to look busy. You do hear Jordy in the back go up to some ensign and say, uh, can I get a dino scan done on? Uh, and then you can't hear anymore. Anyway, while Jordy's gone. Oh, yeah, there's so much to say just about this scene. It's crazy how many notes I wrote this week. I don't know. It's fucking packed in. Uh, while he's gone, one of the barrels sort of collapses and cave, the leaking barrel collapses and caves in. And because in this cargo bay on this ship, they've just got another barrel stacked on top of it, not strapped to anything or nothing. Nah, it's all just free to hang and loose. The top barrel falls and lands right on Worf's upper back. Yeah. Worf wakes up in sick bay with Crusher and Alyssa Ogawa standing over him. Right. And he asks, uh, "Can they, would they please remove the restraining field? And he promises he won't leave sick bay, even though, by the way, he was just attempting to get up. He was definitely going to leave sick bay. He was 100% going to leave <laughs> he sick said, bay. I'm sorry, you thought this was serious enough? You changed me into the jammies? No, no yeah. I'm, I'm going to leave sick bay and I'm going to go put on real clothes. Thank you. Yeah. Um... But uh, Crusher says, there's no restraining field. Uh, You're paralyzed from the waist down. Yeah. And she tells him right away, rips the bandaid right off. Yeah. I can't fix this. I got lots of notes about why she would have done that. (laughs) Um, Somebody probably scrambles Dr. Crusher's eggs by calling a specialist in. I assume it wasn't her. (laughs) No, 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 no. There's no way in hell she called for that. No, but someone did. Uh-huh. Well, Picard just seems he wants to fuck with everybody this week, so it's probably him. I think it was probably Troy. Oh. I think Troy's the only one who would, and I think it's an r- absolute betrayal of her friendship with Dr. Beverly Crusher. Oh, good, I can't wait to hear more about Is there any more to this theory? Or There's no theory, it's, like, it's just okay. like, who would have done it? Not Picard. Well, we're about to talk about Picard. Well, I don't think he would have called for a specialist. Uh, here's the reason I think he would. We could just talk about it then. Here's the reason I think he would. Later on, he's talking to Beverly, and he's got a fresh update. <laughs> he's got a brand new update on Crusher firing this lady. <laughs> and I think this lady went right to him and said, hey, oh. you called me in to do this fucking job, and now you're cr- this crazy lady has already fired me. What's going on? And now he's got to talk to her about it. I mean, the lady 100% went over Beverly Crusher's head to talk to Picard, but I assumed it was just because of her uh, short, aggressive haircut. 
<laughs> we gotta, we'll talk about that too. She's ah. just a real Shelby type, you know. Ah, I got so many notes. You keep um, bringing up the things that are in my notes. <laughs> anyway, this specialist, Doctor Russell. I don't know if yeah. her first name's ever said. By the way, Toby. I didn't. Toby. Oh, it's you Toby. remember from the Star Trek cards? And I was gonna. I was just gonna say. <laughs> I don't know if they said it in the episode, but it was definitely on her Star Trek card. You know what? I don't think I have a ship named Doctor Toby. Oh, Toby you. That is a big one. You should have thought about Star Trek cards when you were coming up with yeah, these names. Put that, put that down there. <clears throat> you definitely have a Darian Wallace, though. I for sure do. Not only that, but I also have a, a USS Tate. I think. <laughs> well, Tate's in the Tate's got a name. What about what about Goosty? Uh, I don't know if I have a Goosty. There oh, was a point. That's a good one. There was a point when I wouldn't take anyone who didn't have a first and last name, but oh, then but I ran that. out. <laughs> yeah, and so then I would to. just take if they had a first name in Beta Canon, I would take it. Oh. But, but then it then I ran out of those. So then it was I would just use the actor or actress's first name. Oh, seems like feels like. Just assumed okay. it was a Tony Danza situation. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Uh, Doctor Russell rolls up on an Excelsior class ship, <clears throat> yeah. and starts talking like she's a big fan of Doctor Crusher. She's read her work about cybernetics or whatever. You know how Doctor Crusher likes cybernetics. She fucking loves cybernetics. That's why she gets to mess around inside of Data. Um. Yeah, for sure. Uh, they have a talk about how basic Klingon medicine is because of their dumb honor-bound culture. Uh, and how Klingons usually just kill themselves when they get an injury like this. So they ain't got much to go on. Yeah. But then also Dr. R- Russell makes a big point to say she ain't going to be Worf's friend. She ain't <laughs> here to make friends. Yeah. She don't want to be his friends. She says, I understand doctors on starships have to get close to their patients, but she says it like she still thinks. That's a bad idea. That's a bad idea. I understand that you have got a dumb idea in your head and you're doing something dumb, but I'm not going to be dumb. Right. Uh, Meanwhile, immediately after they've raised the specter that Klingons often kill themselves in this situation, (laughs) Riker goes to visit Worf in his special, much uglier sick bay. That they're keeping him in. Yeah, they're keeping him in the fucking sick bay annex, which is very dimly lit and looks like crap. He's in the fucking isolation ward for sure, where there's all kinds of big equipment. There's like, I know we said he's paralyzed, but I do think he's going to try to escape and we need to lock him up. Well, Worf asks him <coughs> to help him perform the Hegbot ceremony and die. And Riker said, you want me to headbutt you? <laughs> what did you say? And Did you say headbutt ceremony? I'm not going to do that. And we are seven minutes into the episode. You're injured, buddy. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Riker is immediately out. He mm. tugs on his jacket and leaves, even though Worf says please. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's very humiliating. <laughs> uh, the two doctors talk about how everything in the Klingon body has a redundancy. Uh-huh. They have to make this an argument because we're not supposed to like Dr. Russell, where so she has to be like, it's fucking inefficient. And then Crusher's like, the Klingons fucking love it. They're, yeah, they got they're, a special what, name for it. They're into this idea that they have all these redundancies or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, then Dr. Russell shows Crusher her brand new genetronic replicator, which mm-hmm. she wants to use to make a whole new spinal cord. But this thing is untested outside of the holodeck. And even in the holodeck, Two-thirds of the fake patients don't make it. Yeah. And also, she doesn't say, but I assume she ain't been doing it on Klingons. 
No. You know what these racist Federation types are like. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. She's it's just it humans. On, it's humans on like, and one Vulcan. I was exactly going to say that. I said it was almost all humans. One Vulcan made it in there so she could go, I just did it on a Vulcan. He died. He no died Andorans. very quickly. They have four genders. No one's into it. <laughs> like, no one wants to be like, as soon as you introduce Andorians into a study, then you have to make sure That's that right. it works on all four. Like, the whole thing just blows up enormous. Yeah, it's a regulatory fiasco, for sure. No, no Bolians, presumably because of their complicated bowel situation <laughs> that we don't know about in TNG. No, we ain't heard about that yet, but it's real. Um. Anyway, yeah, two-thirds of the patients fucking eat it in the holodeck. So Beverly Crusher's attitude about it is like, this thing is neat, but you thought of it last week. I'm not <laughs> letting you take out Worf's spine. Yeah, let's work on some other stuff first, yeah. at least. Let's, there's other ideas. Yeah. Meanwhile... The transport ship Denver, hmm. which I assume is named after John Denver. Fucking. <laughs> my notes, and I got so many fucking notes, and you're picking them all off one by one. <laughs> well, it hit an old Cardassian mine, and A there Gravitic are like mine. hundreds of casualties. Yeah, I don't know what is that's just like, like in a submarine movie, it would be a magnetic mine. But someone said, I don't know, the magnets even work in space. And even though they work exactly the same in space (laughs) as they do underwater, they were like, let's just make it gravitic then. It's a gravitic one. It's a gravitic type. Um, So there's like hundreds of casualties and the ship is racing over there and she's given an order like to set up all the cargo bays for triage, etc. And activate her whole medical staff, which is not just her and Alyssa Ogawa. Yeah, I do have a staff, and they are going to be busy, and also all civilians with medical training. Everybody. You remember and remember me when I said with exasperation, I used to have a staff. (laughs) And everyone at home went, oh my god, wait, did she? I don't think, I never saw those people. Well, this is what I meant. I meant this staff. Anyway, that's what's going on. Um... Riker asks Picard to have a special meeting. He goes up to the bridge and he says, can I talk to you? And this is a real ambush job because he thinks he's going to go in there and say the most fucked up thing just happened. (laughs) Uh, You know, so he goes in, he's acting outraged about the whole thing. Picard shuts him down immediately. I I don't know. Again, I don't know what he wanted Picard to do, but Picard doesn't give him any kind of satisfaction. No. No. I mean, he not only shuts him down, but he interrupts him over and over again. Yeah. It's pretty, uh, it's a complete shutdown. <laughs> yeah, it's 100% shutdown. And Picard, Picard's attitude is, Worf isn't capable of this. He's more animal than man, I say it twice a week. <laughs> and then he, Riker is making the argument, he's like, like he he's my good buddy, and I don't think it's right that i should help him die i mean lots of people could they could move on with their life he didn't even get to say the whole argument no cards just like but not nah, are you you get we're talking about fucking wharf that he can barely open a door are you kidding me the other day the other day he walked into a door and then he said he's no longer strong and went to go commit suicide <laughs> yeah so, okay anyway we all knew this was coming <laughs> and by the way are you friends i thought you were friends are you a friend of his are you good friends because a friend They're, would help there's a lot of elliptical language and a lot of behavior that can be interpreted multiple ways in this. Picard's attitude in this scene is also, I mean, it's, he doesn't say it outright, but I definitely get the impression that he is trying to convey to Riker, don't worry, man, I'll make sure this doesn't get into the record. You can kill him if you want. <laughs> On my ship, everybody gets one. That's 
Exactly. By the way, this just cleans up somebody else's record that I don't have to deal with anymore. <laughs> just shut the book on Worf. Hey, this is the only dude I've ever put a note in his file for, and that's not a big deal normally, but when it's the only person you've ever done it for, someone at Starfleet wants to know why. That's right. So let's just, you know, send him off into the sunset. Give him a glorious death, if you're friends. Alexander's around this week, oh, and he's yeah, mad he at is. Counselor Troy because he's a, he's two years old. <laughs> And his interpretation of what's going on is that she's keeping him from seeing his father, even though obviously it's Worf who doesn't want to be seen. By the way, it's obviously Worf who has never wanted to see Alexander. Well, that too. <laughs> Ever. This guy, this little kid is a fucking stone around the neck of his career. And now when he's uh, trying to be honorable and die and be noble, yeah, Wrecker's 100% right about this, by the way. <laughs> uh no, oh, I mean, everything Worf does is to everything Worf does is to appear noble to somebody. Uh, yeah, I just can yeah, never yeah, figure yeah, out yeah, to yeah, who, yeah, yeah. but yes, uh, exactly. Um, Alexander doesn't give a shit about honor or anything like that. He's mad. Uh, she puts the boy to bed, and then she goes to talk to Worf about it. And this is when the two doctors roll up to talk turkey. Yeah, Crusher wants to fill Worf's body with neural transducers that transmit the signals to his extremities. Give him, like, 70% of his motor control back. And by the way, of course she does. We just learned... I mean, we just had it reminded. We we were just reminded, I guess, of the fact that her big thing is fucking cybernetics or whatever. Yeah, she so, wants to turn him into a fucking robot man. Yeah, this thing about implanting a bunch of shit in his body and let a computer do the work, that's that's up her alley. She wishes she'd been a soon. Pretty soon he's just going to be data. She's, that's her goal. Uh, they they strap uh the training version of this, not even the final product. They strap a a basic thing to get him used to the idea onto his leg. He does one fucking Frankenstein kick, and he's <laughs> all in on team suicide again. He can't handle it. He's a big baby. Honestly, it's such a small touch by Worf. The look on his by uh, Michael Dorn, the look on Worf's face after he does the kick is. Yes. Perfect. Oh, it is a hundred percent perfect. Perfect. He looks so fucking nauseated by what he just saw. <laughs> well, as Crusher immediately starts saying, "No, that's very good, actually, uh -huh. for a first effort." But you know who else has seen that look on Worf's face? Doctor <laughs> Russell, and she fucking immediately pipes up with this replicator plan. Yeah. As my soft touch of note of the episode, Crusher steams in soft yep, focus right in the background, right behind her. Yep. It's um, the focus comes off of her like it comes on to Russell and Worf, but you can see her. And I think even on a 13 inch TV, you would have been able to see her getting mad. It's fucking perfect back there. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Uh, she TNG has small touches. The other shows don't seem. Yes. Yeah. Um, she, though, is more of a professional than Russell. So she waits till they're back in the regular part of sick bay. I'm sure <laughs> Wolf can hear this, but you know what I mean. Like, there's a now there's technically a door between them. She's doing better than Neelix. It's such a weird annex. Like, the sound goes into the room, but no one can hear him in there. It's yes. just awful. Um, anyway, she starts unloading on Russell. She thinks Russell is using Worf's desperation to get someone to let her test this procedure, which, and she's looked into it, has been turned down for human trials three times already. <laughs> um... The conversation gets interrupted, though, because now they've rolled up on the USS John Denver, mm -hmm. and uh, 
as they shelve this conversation about her recklessness, which I think Crusher thinks is just for a desire to get ahead and she does, has not yet recognized a general pattern. Right. Russell offers to help out with all this wounded and Crusher is very gracious about it and accepts like it seems like they've put it aside as professionals here. Yeah. <clears throat> well, after they wore after they walked away, I guess Worf was maybe embarrassed about his behavior because he's strapped on a couple of these motor assist devices again to stand up. So Alexander could come see him. Did you say the part where Troy told him to stop being such a little bitch? <laughs> I mean, she I didn't say it with words, it. but yeah, maybe that's think, it too. I think that's the part that got him going. Uh, anyway, he sure has put these devices on. Alexander comes in, but you know, the, the shit, shit, he, this is his second attempt. It don't last forever. He falls over. He sends Alexander away like a big crybaby again. <laughs> um, we cut to the triage. Crusher's working on the wounded, and she finds Russell... Uh, writing up uh, what happened to a dead body. And yep. she says, what happened here? Well, it turns out that Russell tried to treat this patient with another <laughs> one of her theoretical medicines instead of, you know, st- you know, usual standard of care. Yeah, I mean, she is a fantasy fan. So right, makes sense where she got the name for it. Oh, yeah. Well, it's, she says it, it's Baratheum. That's what it is. <laughs> but um, I may have written something different. <laughs> It did sound like the name of a certain uh, fictional king. Yes. Uh, Crusher's had enough. This is horse shit. She suspends her medical privileges on the ship. So, of course, in the next scene, Picard stops in. Yep. Comes on by. <laughs> he's got the. He's got some. He got some goss. He heard from yep. someone. It's unimportant who. He's here to ask about Worf, maybe, but really to talk about Russell and her genetronic proposal. Mm-hmm. She tells Picard that. Forget about Worf killing himself. She'll fucking put him in a restraining field if that's what the option is. Yeah. But Picard reiterates that he's basically an ox and he can't possibly make a good life for himself because he barely has object permanence. <laughs> Riker comes in, visit Worf. But he did it the second. Hold on. When he comes into Crusher's office and he gives her the Riker talk again, I had forgotten that part. I fucking was like hooting and hollering in my in my living room oh, i was doing i was sure. doing the fucking i was doing the arsenio hall thing and i couldn't and, fucking believe how lucky i was to get to see this episode and by the way it's a good speech that he gives this time if you're not paying attention to what he says <laughs> when he says like it's too far and uh and it it it, it travels yes, through a lifetime of values and beliefs, and you're like, all right, all right, he's he's given it the full Picard. But then when you think about it again, what he's saying is, uh, Worf is Worf is not capable of making this accommodation. I don't uh-huh. believe that this man who for whom I served as Chadich, yes, and uh, who in the past I have appeared to respect, yes. although I never take any of his suggestions. Right. Uh, I apparently do not believe he is capable of learning or growing in any way. So let's please help him in any way we can to kill himself as soon yes. as we can. I became more convinced in this scene than even the Riker scene that he was desperate for Worf to die. And I could not... his The passion with which he delivers these words yeah. was fucking unbelievable. <laughs> like, I don't know if Patrick Stewart... I don't know who gets the say on when he goes full Shakespeare. Right. If it, if the writers, the writers yeah, have to write the Shakespeare, speech for Do you him, mean right? where he, when he says something like, and all the heads and arms and legs cry out, we died in such a place. Then let's just say when he goes Royal Shakespeare Company. Okay, all right. 
but yeah, uh, like the writers have to write a scene for him in order to do that. So yeah. it, it starts early. It's not Patrick Stewart picking his moments, but that, that one to me was a weird one. Anyway, yeah. Riker has come back to visit Worf again, and he's got Worf's special robe that he wears when he pretends to be a captain. <laughs> and he's got a really dumb looking knife. Like the worst knife you'd get at the store. Oh, the but it's got so many little knives in oh, the blade. It's got it's like a hundred little knives. Yeah, absolutely. Not a knife I would want to stab myself with. No, if you saw that on the Knife Collector show, you'd be like, that's not even going to cut paper, probably. It's yeah, too probably, confusing. For sure the paper will be like, nah, you, no. Or you'll never be able to sharpen it. There's no straight angles on the whole blade. Anyway, yeah. instead of giving it to him, Riker just waves it around and uses him uses it as a prop. Well, he tells him, this whole thing sucks on ice, and he mm-hmm. starts naming all of their dead friends and saying, they all fought for life until the very end. And then he says, look, ultimately... If it were my place, I probably would help you kill yourself, you idiot. <laughs> because my space dad told me to, honestly. But I've been reading Klingon Wikipedia. <laughs> yeah, you thought you were the only one. It's free access. That's idiot. right. I talked to Jidadan. Yep. That's Wait, is Jidadan the guy who they get the access from? Or is Jidadan the guy who uh, is Jidadan is the spy? guy who's a spy. I okay. think you mean Baijik? Yeah, yeah, it's probably Baijik. Do you mean you talked to Baijik? Yeah. Anyway, I got access to Klingon Wikipedia. And I've learned that this is actually Alexander's responsibility. Boom. Space you, lawyer Riker. You are trying to take the easy way out and not get him involved. Mm-hmm. So then Riker leaves. Yes, and then he starts dancing around and starts going, There's no easy way out from fucking Rocky Four or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to make one thing 100% clear. When Riker leaves, he puts the knife at Worf's feet. Where he cannot get. Which could mean that Riker thinks Worf can't get that knife. <laughs> I think that and he's definitely teasing what he him thinks. there. He is teasing him. Or it could mean <clears throat> Riker has come in and given his big speech, but he has also left the knife deliberately. Oh, like, I, what? No, I didn't do anything. I told him no. That's right. I told him I wasn't going to do it, and if he wanted to do it, he had to get Alexander involved. And yes, I did leave the knife there, but he's paralyzed. He wasn't going to get to that knife, but, oh, I guess he got to that knife. That's tragic. Then we see Alexander come in. Yes, yes, and, yes, yes. And yes. say, you said you wanted to see me? This is a fake out. <laughs> Instead of having telling him about killing him, Worf says, I'm not going to kill myself, actually. <clears throat> Yeah. I'm just going to undergo a dangerous operation that might kill me. The Klingon customs that I always tell you about that I mostly make up, because how are you going to know the difference? They say I have to kill right. myself. But, like, I'm not going to do it. Aren't I cool? Yeah. Because, <clears throat> despite this whole episode being an argument about whether this procedure should be allowed or not, mm-hmm. off-screen Crusher has decided to allow it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Of course. <clears throat> yes. But, well, Picard gave her that very impassioned speech about Worf being such a dumb dumb that he's better off dead. Yeah. Before Worf goes under the knife, he asks Troy to please take charge of Alexander if he dies. Troy is the only woman he knows now. Mm-hmm. He once knew Marla Astor. He was probably going to ask her. He, she already had a kid. It she has a kid. Captain Patches. The whole thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess he technically knows Troy's mom, but I guess she's not around. She ain't here. Yeah. And she called him Mr. Wolf once in, again, 
maybe one of Michael Dorn's best small touch scenes. <laughs> yes. He's very patient. Um, the surgery starts. Worf goes on life support. Riker and Picard have a routine conversation so we can see that they're really concerned about Worf. Hmm. Uh, they put his spine in a Lexan box and scan it. The scanner has trouble with, you know, all the Klingon shit. Cause like you said, she ain't never done that with Klingon She's, shit. They never even looked at a Klingon anything. So they got to do the scan manually. That'll take longer. Worf is on a ticking clock because the computer knows exactly how long until primary brain dysfunction. Don't you worry. Mm-hmm. Life support can work for exactly three hours. That's also, what the they computer got. is fully capable of counting off the time itself, but Alyssa Ogawa's job is to do that. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Normally, she gets to do more, but there's two doctors this week. Yeah, she's when you're third banana in Crusher's sick bay. That's I mean, you ain't <laughs> yeah. got nothing to do. She's already real hands on. So yeah. Um, in the next scene, they put a little worm in him, and then I guess it grows into bones and shit. And all the muscles <laughs> attach. We don't. They're pretty vague on how this McMahon, works. That's how genitronic replication works. I'm. I don't know that she said it, but I feel confident she said all that stuff. Because they took out his whole spine, including bones. But what yep. they put in is a whole slimy worm, and then we see a graphic that shows it growing. Yes. Uh, and instead of explaining it, they're much more interested to in cutting away to Troy looking concerned and Alexander falling asleep and stuff. Right. Yep. Yep. Anyway, they finish and take Worf off life support. All the alarms start going off and he flatlines. They can't put him back on life support, I guess, for reasons. Time of death, 1240 hours. Fucking beefed it in the afternoon. Yeah. Crusher goes to tell Alexander he's an orphan now. Alexander insists on seeing the body because he don't believe in Klingon shit or he'd know the body's just a shell. Who cares? Shoot it out (laughs) in space. Who gives a shit? But while he's in there crying... Worf takes a breath, and everybody fucking springs to life, and they start working on him again. Yeah. Crusher thinks this is some other kind of Klingon redundancy. Uh, again, they don't know anything. They Neither of them yeah. knows anything they about They have Klingons. no idea what's happening, but Worf <clears throat> is alive. Yep. Later in the medical office, uh, Toby Russell is very pleased with herself, but Crusher's done with this lady. She don't fuck with her no more. Yeah. <clears throat> Um, That's Worf one way to read it. I mean, the lady <laughs> is pleased with herself, but Crusher also. I mean, I guess we can get into it. She took such a big L. Oh, Crusher for sure. took such a huge L, and her only the only thing left to her is to be as petty as she can possibly oh, be. Definitely. And she will fucking savor that and hold on to that, and she'll think about how petty she was with this. Oh yeah, lady at some point she'll be remember. satisfied with that for years until maybe one day someone will say something and it'll shake her loose, and she'll be like, "Oh, she, I took a big L that day." Yeah, she's definitely gonna remember saying to her, "Enjoy your laurels." I'm not sure I could. I'm not sure I could. Boom, eyes back down to what I was pretending to do when you walked in. Also, I'm taller I won't than you. Look at and, you, and I look better in tight clothing. So, <laughs> to come at me. Eighty points out of forty. All the points. Give this episode everything. It's amazing. Now, Matthew, I know what you scored this episode. Oh, <laughs> uh, Worf is learning to walk again on some gymnastics equipment they keep around, <laughs> and his atti- attitude's gotten better too because he decides to let Alexander help him back up when he falls, even though all the kid does is run over and touch his hand. Yeah, I mean, I just ain't that kid. He's two. He ain't He's two. That big dude up. What's he gonna do? Michael Dorn is huge. This kid is that, knee high to Michael That meatloaf Dorn. fell off the plate. What's he going to do with it? 
Oh, Matthew, what's this episode about? Hey, man. It all depends on your point of view. <laughs> no, Star Trek! No! <laughs> it's Worf and Picard versus Riker and Crusher, and of course, Crusher versus Russell. You get assisted suicide and medical ethics and... Everything crammed into this one. It's the worst, very special episode of all time. And what came out on the other side, I think, was a big old shrug. <laughs> because although... I mean, this kind of bleeds into execution, so maybe you should go first. But, like... We're definitely supposed to think that Toby Russell is a piece of shit. And that yeah. this wasn't the right thing to do. But then Crusher also let her do it, and it worked. And then on the other side... Our space dad... The space dad we've come to know and love, who's supposed to teach us everything about what's right and what's wrong, says, fucking go ham on this suicide, man. Suicide all day long. Even though Worf doesn't end up doing it because he can't tell his little boy to kill him. So, in both plots, you just go, I don't fucking know. What did they want me to think? And it all depends, is... I mean, that's the worst take. That's no take. That's a zero. Wait, is it a no take or a zero? I mean, it is literally not a take to say. I don't know. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> I have been studying it for seven days. I had the computer analyze it. I swear <laughs> to you, it does not mean a thing. Now I understand why you were asking yeah. me. Yeah, it's an because in this case, distinction to make. In this case, I literally mean. The, the thing that I came up with is the uh, the absence of a take. They didn't stake their claim either way on anything. Um, as opposed to me just re- thinking about it and going, I don't fucking know. I don't know what this was. So anyway, yeah, it's a zero for me. I just couldn't... If they wanted me to think that Dr. Crusher was right and Dr. Russell was was wrong, then she should have said, you can't do the surgery. And Worf should have learned to move on with his life or something. Or they should have tried it and he beefs it. And that's a big episode. And if they wanted me to think the assisted suicide was bad, they shouldn't have had Picard just fucking being like, anyone who doesn't agree with me is a boob like Worf. And should commit suicide like Worf. So anyway, that's... There you go. I think I see where we're apart on the scores. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) All right. So here's what I think they wanted to say. Okay. (laughs) That uh, the health and overall sort of holistic well-being of the patient should be the primary concern in medicine, not the advancement of the art of medicine, Hmm. or even, I suppose, personal beliefs about things like euthanasia. Okay. Like, I don't, it's difficult to defend against the things that you said. I admit that they shook me to my core. (laughs) <laughs> Good. Okay. But, but like when Crusher says she will keep Worf in a restraining field for as long as it takes so that he can't kill himself. Right. That's not a that's a bad point of view too. Yes. <laughs> that is her personal belief about suicide. Right. Uh being given too much weight, right? And so I suppose in theory we're supposed to think that she relents from that position a little. Okay. And that's her growth in this episode. I mean, okay, but then she doesn't go, I guess we should give him the knife then. She goes, yeah, let's try that genetronic replicator. That sounds pretty good. Yeah. But you're right. 
um, that it is kind of, it is two different issues, two different stories that overlap in a kind of patient's rights theme area. Mm -hmm. It's not broadly applicable, (laughs) but... (laughs) I mean, not in my line of work. I don't know. Yeah. But it is... There are real issues at play here, right? By the early 90s, it was probably better than it had been in the previous 50 years. But there were a lot of pretty horrendous things done in the name of advancement of medicine that did not take patient rights, informed consent, dignity, things like that. And that's yeah, the reason why there are the all Cardassian kinds of... guy. <laughs> yes, right. We've done we've done one. I know him. <clears throat> so, you know, the things that Dr. Russell uh, is doing, the things that she is doing... Mm. Uh, are bad and Star Trek should say they're bad. Yeah, this is what I'm saying. It's kind of like I think I told you offline. It's like someone, <laughs> it's like someone definitely hadn't seen an episode of ER, but heard <laughs> it was a good show, and they did promise everyone that they would check it out soon. And then they wrote this episode of ER about medical ethics, right? But again, they wrote it so that none of the characters did any of the things that would make you believe the the message that you would theoretically be supposed to be telling. So anyway, it's a six for me. (laughs) (laughs) All right, that's fair enough. So that's where we are. Listen, I think they absolutely fumbled the shot. 100%. But more of an execution problem for you? There was a take, so let's swing into execution, and I'm going to have to defend why I gave it four. (laughs) I, I, I want to give it 80, so let's go for it. <laughs> um, so it par- this episode partially works, and it partially doesn't. And the big problem, the biggest problem from this episode, from its conception, is they're not going to kill Worf. No, I mean, this show had killed Tasha Yar, but that was a very specific circumstance. Right. Unless Michael Dorn was dying to get off that show. But it's worse even than that, because in at the time that this show was being made the producers were actually deeply terrified of continuity. They're not yeah. even going to commit to having Worf walk with a cane. Yeah, that's even for problem two with episodes. The, with the entire episode is that you know for sure next week he's got same old Worf. Yeah, he might fucking winning Batleth tournaments and all that shit. He might palm heel strike any motherfucker who comes around. <laughs> so they need this cockamamie procedure to work. Yeah. And then they need to have a reason for Beverly to allow the procedure to happen so that it can work, despite the fact that it's not just ethically but scientifically irresponsible. Yes. So then they need this to be a universe where, even though the ship has a psychologist on board, there's no time-tested, evidence-based approach to working with someone who has lost the use of their limbs. Mm-hmm. And Troy just looks sad while Worf decides to kill himself. And then because that's a little far-fetched, we need Picard to drop some amazing clangers about how <laughs> you or me or like anybody really could figure out how to have a fulfilling life after Almost, this accident. Like, think about a person, like any person you want, they <laughs> right. would probably be able to yeah. do it. No now problem. Think about we could Worf. all do it. Not Worf. Notice I said the first time, think about a person. Yes. And then the second time I said, think about Worf. 
They give Picard one sort of good speech about how the road to healing runs through a lifetime of beliefs and values, but nothing at all about whether it's ultimately up to Worf to decide what is a meaningful life or how far is too far. It's all got to be decided today because we only have four more hours to shoot this week. (laughs) Honestly, even if Picard had just said something like, I fucking hate it. I don't want Worf to kill himself. That would be bad. I'm personally going to try to talk him out of it. Yeah. But I- instead, he's like, "Here is what I, we should keep in mind I about love him." Worf, I'm fine with him killing himself. <laughs> he's just like the whole time. He's so aggressive. He's in yeah. everyone's grill about it the whole episode. He just pops in on everyone in the ship and convinces them it's okay if Worf dies. Uh, I also think they overreached a little bit on the melodrama. With the extreme close-up shot of Riker looking up from his pad to ask yes. at Picard if there'd been any word yet. Um. Anyway, Picard, Riker, Crusher, Worf all get lots of chewy work to do. Yes. So it's not all bad. No, I, I had a blast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> there is a better episode in here if this show was post-streaming and they could do some continuity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yep. there could be consequences <laughs> to this surgery. Uh, we could even just see more of Worf's recovery. It might be a season before he's back to health. You know, whatever. Anyway. Yeah, maybe someone could say five weeks from now, hey, you're looking pretty good after that surgery. Anything. I gave it a four out of ten because Beverly Crusher sets her jaw incredibly well, <laughs> and they do a lot of good speeching. All right, well, that's fair. I mean, that's what we want out of Star Trek anyway. Um... All right. If Worf had died, this is a cautionary tale about medical ethics. Yes. That would have been something. It wouldn't have been a ton of points, because it's not like... I don't know, it's not mind-blowing or anything. By the way, obvious character for this to happen to, (laughs) O'Brien. And they could kill O'Brien. That threat's real. It could even be Keiko. Threat's real. Oh, yeah. But he fucking Barkley. Threat's real, but Worf. He lives, and now I just have to go, well, Crusher is very mad, and <laughs> she is very right, but also, she just kind of let the whole thing happen. And now then she, she got took a big L. She just took the biggest L in the history of Doctors. So thanks, writers. Like, I don't know what to do with that. And this Riker-Picard scene. <laughs> it's we- It's so weird. Most of the time when I build these things up in my head, and then I watch them again, and I go, oh, it wasn't exactly the way I thought. This is, it's maybe worse than I remember. <laughs> He's hungry yes, for Worf's no, suicide. We've talked about this before, and when we characterized this, we were always like, Picard is like, if you were his friend, you'd kill him. Mm-hmm. But it's more than that. And he has every argument. He has every <laughs> argument worked out yes. ahead of time. He's hungry for Worf's suicide, and he wants it to ruin Riker's self-worth at the same time. Oh, yeah. He's so eager to get Riker to do it that he interrupts him over and over again with weird straw man arguments about terminal illnesses and shit that just uh-huh. don't have anything to do with this. It's just not this situation at all. He's like, what if you had uh, Yarim Fell syndrome and you were about to beef it and, and maybe suicide would look pretty good to you? And Riker's uh, like, what are you fucking talking about? Crusher said his top sprinting speed will only be 10 miles an hour instead of 12, so <laughs> he's got to go. Peace. It was... It was hard to watch and also the best thing I've ever watched. And he does it in a later scene with Crusher too. All that shit about maybe 
Maybe they can both get what they want. Worf can claim to want to live and do this dumb, risky procedure, and Picard can still gaze upon those blue butt cheeks when it fails. You know? And the twist at the end, where Worf jerks back to life like one of my thrice-reformatted laptops, is so bad. It was almost like Alexander's tears saved Worf's life. Give me a little bit. He walks in and he's like, no, I want to see him. And he walks in and he sees, he gazes upon his next dead parent. Next I mean, in a least, long line of dead parents for <laughs> at Alexander, At least they I do assume. some medical work at that point when he does that little jerk. It's not just, he doesn't just open his eyes and take a big deep <laughs> breath and he's just back, right? But like, sure, sure. for sure. And then he starts to cry and then it's like, Crusher notices his fucking eyes moving or something. And goes over there and starts working on him again. At that point, I just said, this is pure chaos. It's so messy. And I laughed so much that it's worth two points. Because it was going to be zero. I was going to give it a zero. But it was just, it was like a tsunami of chaotic energy this entire episode. So, yeah, you get points for entertainment. This whole outing was just ill-advised. And they were all (laughs) hanging on for dear life. (laughs) It's one of my favorite episodes now. Like, after I've critically evaluated it, it's one of my favorites. <laughs> um, well, how about world building? Uh, bring me the dino scan. I know there'd be fucking mad dinosaurs hiding in this room somewhere, and I'm not about to get fucking jump scared by a dinosaur. Yeah, so call bring me, me the dino scan. Call me Turok in here, because I need that dino scan. <laughs> Yo, why would sick bay food be worse than the other food? Yeah, it makes literally no sense. This is uh, Riker makes a quip about it because I guess that joke lasts into the future about hospital food. <laughs> yeah, and no one, uh, there must be someone who says uh, it's the same replicator, man. <laughs> that joke is fucked out. She gets her lunch out of that replicator too. It's, it's totally you want to do airline food? Another thing we don't have. <laughs> Let's hear about that. Uh, the genetronic replicator and all of its magical wonders. Yeah, um, they still don't seem to know much about Klingon anatomy or medicine. It's bad, man. They almost just unplug the guy at the end because they don't know what's happening. At least they have a fucking conversation about why. <laughs> it's true, but then it's two doctors who have a conversation about why they don't know anything about what this if, kind of patient, and then they just go, let's operate on him. What if in the corner, when they're talking about how there's no good Klingon medicine because all this honor shit, uh, Aladar Jerok in his Klingon form from Enterprise just fucking <laughs> popped up in the corner and said, it's true. It's all true. <laughs> Um. Yeah, it's two doctors who say we don't know anything about Klingons, and here's why. And then they go, "Let's operate right now. <laughs> we could definitely do this." Um, the Denver hit a gravitic mine from that fuck. That damned Cardi War just keeps rearing its ugly head. Yep. All ten episodes we've known about it or whatever. It's been a terrible, terrible war that happened. I mean, they're like WWE style. They're really pushing the Cardassian War at this point, and it's yeah. like. All of a sudden, these wrestlers have always had beef, and you're like, I don't remember that being <laughs> Did true. Did Booker T always hate Goldberg? I know they were both in WCW, but I don't really know. If yeah. Um, In the waiting room, is Alexander playing a Tiger handheld game or doing his multiplication tables? What's supposed to be happening? That's a good question. Uh, I gave but it a the music for... was telling you to just be sad and look at Troy, really. Yes, who was looking sadly at Alexander. Yeah, exactly. She was the one doing acting. 
I gave it a two for world building. I mean, I guess I liked it one better than that. I gave it a three. What have I written down here? I have written down Klingon neuroscience is hampered by dumb honor rules like everything else. DNA replicators that seem uh, kind of less sophisticated than what we've seen the transporter do with an old DNA sample already, but you can't yeah, think well, about could, that. That's not yes. this episode's fault. <laughs> you, that was. You could always just say, all right, guys, spine don't work no more. Just beam back the warp from five hours ago. Do we have his old pattern in the transporter from five hours ago? He's gone before. He beamed back five hours ago. He had got a sandwich at the yeah. station we were at, so... <laughs> That's all going to be fine. But don't mix him with the sandwich. People have done it. That's not this episode's fault. The moment that happened, we were like, this is world breaking. <laughs> you you yes. cannot allow. If you allow this, it ruins everything. So I realize it's season one or whatever, but you've yeah. ruined Star Trek forever. We have to throw this out. This, this, this makes everything impossible. No one can die. Yeah. I think it was season two because they had to have a thing about Pulaski doesn't like transporters so that there was a uh, reason to have to search her quarters, right? Sure. Yes. They had to find her pube or whatever. A uh, Heckbot ceremony, motor assist devices, Drectal beams, <laughs> Baratheon therapy. Um, in real terms, there's a little bit here on Klingon society and a little bit on medical ethics and testing procedures in the future, like holodeck models instead of animal models and sure. so on. Uh, so I gave it as much as three for making it feel a little more like a real place where people ask questions about stuff and point out the consequences of some odd behaviors that are impossible. I kind of like with- Kind of like when that in that episode where uh, uh, where that one, uh, what's the fucking race of the hunt? The hunters, you know the guys. The Herogen. The Herogen. Where that one guy. <laughs> where the guy, our for society the first time doesn't ever, work for the first time ever in the history of that civilization. The guy's like, I don't think this works, guys. There's like one plumber left. It doesn't make any sense. Everybody's a hunting, goddamn hunter. And like, I don't know who I'm gonna buy hunting supplies from. Yeah. You know? I tried to buy a net, another net for bones. The There's no closed, nets anymore. Yeah, he, the guy became a hunter. The guy's a hunter now. I can't say, I, I actually, know. he's doing good. He's a beta. I don't, I don't think that anyone can like, I don't think anyone's producing the nets anymore. It's not great. It just don't, it don't work. We got we to gotta do the hunting stuff on the holodeck so we can do regular jobs during the day. So we can all go to the office and gossip. So anyway, we come home and we play the hunting game. <laughs> During the two throwaway sentences where they're like, Klingon neuroscience sucks a dick, man. <laughs> Everyone just kills himself when they get injured like this. I was like, all right, there's consequences, so it's a three. Uh, I agree with you, actually. I will bump it up to a three. There is some stuff in there I did not list. Characterization. Worf is so hands-off on passing judgment on other people. It's like his main character trait, honestly, at this point. <laughs> That I 100% believe he would understand Worf killing himself, but not for the reasons he gives. Yeah. The, he's a Klingon That's argument. That's what I'm saying. That's the so only thing. Empty. If Picard had things he could say and still be able to say things like, it's his culture and you can't judge his culture and stuff like that, yeah. but he doesn't say any of the things he should say. <laughs> yeah. It's like if you were just uh, telling someone about something that a friend of yours was doing and the, the dude just said back to you, he's Chinese, man, they do that. You'd be That's like, right. oh, I'm talking to a racist. That's exactly right. You'd be right. talking to Tom Paris. That's who you'd be talking to. Yes, exactly. Um, Riker, I think, comes off a little better. Though the script leaves open the possibility that he was somehow leaving Worf that knife on purpose. Um, and Beverly is always good at being righteous. And yes. um, one of the few cast members in the franchise that's acting even when she's not talking. 
So you really do get a good feel for how she feels about this situation. I've always felt that Gates McFadden can act. Well, I haven't always felt it. Once I started doing this project, I came to feel that. Once she you started paying act. attention to it, and they don't and give there her work are, to like, do. Entire seasons where she is checked out, <laughs> right? Just totally checked out and does not care. And then suddenly she'll just pop back up, and you're like, "Oh, that was pretty. That was pretty good. What yeah. she did there, I like that." <clears throat> Uh, Worf is, I don't know. They do the fake out where Riker leaves and he calls Alexander in and then he's like, I'm not going to kill myself. But it's not because anyone got through to him. It's just because he's going to have the surgery. And everyone already knew, like in the preceding scene, that if he yeah. could have the surgery, he wouldn't kill himself. Yeah. So yeah, that's he'd still anything. get to die. Exactly. Yeah. His biggest character moment this week is probably asking Troy to be Alexander's new mom if he dies. And that doesn't feel particularly well motivated. <laughs> They have had at least one conversation about Alexander previous to this episode, so. So, I mean, good speeches, but characterization-wise, not what I'd hope for. I'm giving it a three. Yeah, I'll put this note up front. This is Picard's worst look. <laughs> I mean, he's had a bunch of stinkers, though. No, I know. Like, again, <laughs> now, do you mean when this he is yells at nobody in particular, the cycle ends here and shoots the guy cold dead and you just go what the fuck did i just watch i just want to remind you that there's an episode called hold on i'll find it homework <clears throat> oh well okay i mean we haven't done that one yet right yeah. so but just a heads we'll up see. that it's coming we'll see we'll see at that point but to the to the point that we are in this project this is his worst look and that yeah. is hard to believe because he's had some bad ones for <laughs> sure <laughs> Like letting people go every time they commit a crime and stuff like that. He's he's not um he's not the ideal that everybody makes him out to be in the I assume in the Star Trek community of people who don't really examine the episodes they're watching. I mean like um, me until I got pneumonia is what you're saying. <laughs> right. I mean, you're right. The real conscience of the show is Beverly Crusher. I mean she has been so far. She always seems to have uh, um, an idealistic take on what's going on with whatever, whatever shit's in the episode. Um, Worf doesn't think Troy can bluff, but he has come to have great respect for her and wants her to be Alexander's godmother. Troy finally tells Worf to think about his damn son, which she did a very good job of not saying the last time they had to talk about Alexander. So, clearly something worked her up. Um, how is Worf ever going to look Riker in the eye again after his bluff was so completely called? <laughs> when Riker just goes. Uh, yeah, space lawyer Riker here. Uh, I did a little bit of digging, and it uh, turns out you have to ask your son, and you're too much of a little fucking bitch. So here's your knife, and just walks out. Worf is never going to ask Riker for anything ever again. Uh, this is not true, dog. This is Worf's haven, and it's going to mess with him so badly that, that he in, has to uh, date Troy. In two years, he's going to ask Riker if it's okay to date <laughs> Troy. <laughs> I mean, maybe. It's just he got smoked so bad, so bad that he doesn't even try with Alexander. He's just like, ah. Uh, well, that was that then. And then Alexander comes in and he's like, hey, man, I'm not going to do it. Yay. <clears throat> uh, Jordy cheats at cards, and he basically Little League did this week. He's in yes, the he was with on the barrels and never again. Don't worry. I don't think Data got a line. <laughs> it's possible. Oh, he may have nodded his head when Picard said he had the bridge. <laughs> he honestly may have said something about the Denver. Oh, uh, yeah, that makes sense. Crusher? <clears throat> 
probably thought a direct approach would work best with Worf, since he's a tough Klingon warrior or whatever. Yes. But she might have run it past his chet each first when she says the thing about how he's never going to be able to walk again or whatever. That is true. that is like saying his fucking dick fell off and he'll never dick again. And by the way, he probably won't. I mean, his spine he's don't paralyzed work. from the waist down. It's a real possibility. So, like, That's just okay. think about it. As far as we know, he's only done it twice, so. Maybe three times? <laughs> to this point, I don't even know. Does he, he do it with? I think twice. Once once before we've ever met him, because she's like, uh, maybe they didn't do it maybe that they, I think he stopped because they would have had to take the oath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I so, think he wasn't ready to do the wild thing. So one time so far. <laughs> one time. No matter um, whether that woman welcomed that huge one. Well, Wesley <laughs> fucked everything up with his stickball game. So. Yeah, they didn't have a lot of time. He, he probably and probably actually would have happened, but yeah. you know, stickball. He seemed to admire that lady's courage. Yeah. Um, Crusher is right that this lady is wilding out here with medical device tech that has not been investigated by an independent lab to the ISO and IEC standards <laughs> called out by the FDA. That's we all have different problems with it, but yes. This shit has not been through IEC 60601-1-2 third edition, and I know that for damn sure. <laughs> well, you didn't you didn't arrange the testing, so who did? <laughs> uh, I didn't see a little CE on the plug or a No nah, man, that shit is UL or anything. That is the people who come to me and they go, but what if I don't get it evaluated? <laughs> I want you to tell me it's okay. Tell me the FCC ain't gonna come after me if I don't do this testing. And I go, what are you talking about? Nah, man. You why did you call me in there? There's laws about this. What are you talking Just about? Just don't call me. I don't understand why we're having this conversation. What, do you want me to sign off on this? The <laughs> only possible reason would be so that you can flip on me. <laughs> you want me to give you a signed letter that says you don't need to do this? I don't understand what you're doing. No, because I'm not going to court for you. <laughs> That's right. Especially if you're not paying me. That's right. I want you to tell me I don't have to bring you a big project, and you're going to get nothing out of it. There's no cut. <laughs> um, <clears throat> when Worf asks Riker for a favor, Riker leans in and goes, name it. <laughs> Damn, bro, you should have said, depends, man, I'm not charity. What if Worf had said, I'll need all your self-improvement credits to recover? Was Riker just going to fucking give up all those SI credits he obviously hasn't been using and has probably been saving for some great jazz lesson or something? Hey, listen, I took the self-improvement credit payout in order to find my own, and promised I'd find my own insurance, and then I (laughs) didn't. (laughs) I didn't do anything. (laughs) I'm just saying, he left himself open to any number of things, apparently including your friend asking you to help him die. Yeah. Because you just lean in and go, name it. <laughs> you gotta be careful, ma'am. Um, Riker has every right to be mad at Picard when he leaves his ready room, because that was the most ghoulish conversation I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. Just everything he could do to convince him that Worf must die. Uh, yeah, again, we don't see it, but Riker definitely stopped by 10 forward to have a stiff drink, and also because that's where he poops. <laughs> he doesn't poop in his own quarters. No, no, no. He might bring a lady back later. Yeah, okay. He's not gonna poop in that fucking drawer that pulls Again, out. Again, he Fuck never that. he's never a hundred percent sure he's pooped in the right drawer. <laughs> he's accidentally done upper deckers on himself fifteen times. He's very tall. Uh <clears throat> 
Space Lawyer Riker got into the Klingon Wikipedia again. But what would have happened if he was wrong and Worf did ask Alexander to help him die? That poor kid is messed from seeing his stabbed up mom. He might do it. Yeah. And Worf had not arranged um, for his special parenting arrangement with Troy by that point. So if Alexander had helped him. Be a orphan Alexander, which he basically is anyway. He's going back to Minsk, and those two <laughs> old Russians don't got no you know what? idea what that's to do about the ultimate. This. That's the ultimate reason not to go forward with the suicide. That's why Alexander would have been like, what? Fuck no. I'm, I'm not. Doing that. I am not going to Minsk. Yo, I got a sweet gig here. I get to steal everything I want. I get to f- fucking work with clay. Listen, they got a Weathernet there, but for traditional and cultural reasons, they've decided (laughs) that it's allowed to be below freezing 250 days a year. Uh, When Alexander says, my father wants to see me, he's sure of it. I just went, oh, oh, Alexander, you (laughs) poor dumb kid. You You haven't figured it out yet, even though he sent you away the way he did. By the way, we've done this before, but uh, this is a 10-point execution. If while he was in there, a little (laughs) stolen object had fallen out of his pocket on the ground and Worf had seen it but chosen not to say anything. (laughs) I'm glad Marjan wasn't here to watch poor Alexander suffer for 40 minutes. She loves that little liar so much. (laughs) She loves his little jumpsuits Uh, and everything. Well, I I want to say this because you know I'm not afraid to talk shit about a child actor. Oh, sure. (laughs) Brian Bonsall, who plays Alexander, yeah. does a really good job with very tough work. Every <laughs> every time we've seen him so far, I'm like, he that's this kid is not bad. He's not bad. It's true. He's not bad. He's got to wear all the makeup, and the, the lines must be absolute nonsense. He's got to him. say the worst shit. He's got to yell at his dad about I don't care about honor and stuff. It's very be a bad. Warrior I don't want to be a warrior. Then I got to fight some Skeletors. I don't really know what's happening I, with this. And I, I so far I've. Really, I am. When we get to quick hitters, I am going to name him worst actor this week for one particular thing. But I want to say he really does a good job. I'm glad you're building in the groundwork so we don't feel that bad when he gets worst actor. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a two for me. <clears throat> um, all right, let's start it. Quick hitters, go. All right. Why is scanning cargo barrels the security chief's job? Good question. Honestly, Very good why question. is it the chief engineer's job? They think they've detected a leak in there. Who are we sending? Jordy and Worf. Where's <laughs> Rose? Not here people. this week, or they would have sent her. Yeah, right. Maybe her and Jordy. It would have been her and Jordy joint. Yep. Who knows? Uh, so much for future tech. He can't just wave a thing over his back and make it go, and fix him? Yeah. That's how ordinarily what would happen. Because it's in the script. You can't do it this week. Crusher found that thing two weeks ago and was amazed <laughs> that she knew how to use it. So <laughs> maybe Ogawa this... knocked it off or lost it or something. Yeah, it's always Ogawa. They're, and they're fighting. So she do- and she doesn't want to bring it up in front of Dr. Russell. No. Who is wondering why she doesn't use the woo-woo-woo thing. But, you know, her attitude is that starship doctors are dumb idiots who get too close <laughs> to their patients anyway. So she probably thinks yeah. Crusher doesn't even know about the thing. They don't understand the real science behind what's going on anyway. They're just yeah. out there using tools like apes. Exactly. Yep. Uh, this lady's big sale is 37% on the holodeck. It's, it's, it's you know, wild. Uh, like the sliders all tweaked the way I like them. And it's like junior varsity difficulty. It's unbelievable that she thought she was going to get anywhere with that. And while we're talking about her, and while you brought up her hair earlier, 
they want us to hate this lady. Oh, yeah. So bad that they gave her, I guess the delicate way to say it is the Hillary. They did. Uh, they absolutely gave her the Hillary. Again, this is an episode from like 1992. She probably still had the shoulder length hair, I'm guessing. Yeah. But but yes, they gave her the Hillary, man. They gave her the Hillary and they kind of put her in power suits most of the episode. They're she's, future power suits. She's wearing a future power suit. But you notice she doesn't have a lab coat like uh, Dr. Crusher does. Nope. That hair, man. They said a fucking liberal bitch haircut. Fucking uh, Vince Foster and all that shit. Man. I, I know none 100% of this had happened. I'm not sure they said that. <laughs> and, and then someone said, and Beverly? And the guy's like, oh, uh, Dallas morning news, weather ladies, red waves and tresses. <laughs> like, and, and by the way, that is a conversation they have because they changed Dr. Crusher's hair four times a season. So <laughs> yep. for sure they're picking four one. times an episode if the yeah. wing continuity guy isn't there. <laughs> But you're um, absolutely right. That's exactly how it happened. It was the Hillary versus Dallas Morning News. <laughs> and then I think I sent this to you offline, but I was just imagining Alexander, tiny Alexander, <laughs> in his onesie pajamas, walking back to their quarters. Unaccompanied. Unaccompanied with that huge knife, just smiling to himself. Just, just fucking three to five minutes of walking past random crewmen with this exposed dagger and celebrating internally because daddy broke with tradition. Yeah. Made me fucking so happy. <laughs> he just takes the knife and smiles and walks out. Or if you just sent your, you just sent the kid into the ship with a big knife. Come on, man. Did that barrel fall on your head, you fucking animal? Oh, and you know those childless adults on the ship who really, you know, the type who really resent children and people mm-hmm. with children and they, sure, they, they, they get all kinds of special privileges and exemptions and stuff and they're like uh you know it's not the case for wharf because he was already a senior officer but you know that if you've got a kid on the ship you get the big fancy quarters and all these people oh, yeah. are bunked up and don't have a window and they have to share <laughs> a drawer that they poop in right and you know they yeah, see this kid drawer. walking by with a huge dagger and they're like don't say anything that's fucking wharf's kid oh and then when someone goes oh you think and he points at his forehead. Yeah. <laughs> just like, I don't, you know, Worf's one of Picard's guys. Don't You can't say shit. Nothing's going to happen. Picard. Yeah, he's but isn't connected. that kid a fucking liar? Now he's got a knife. What's yep. going on? I know. I know, man. It's <laughs> fucked. Just don't think. Just try not to think about it. The whole thing's, it's all political, man. Whole thing's political. <laughs> I was late to a meeting. Riker tried to have me transferred. <laughs> this kid gets to walk around with a knife and steal everything yeah, no, in fucking I get, sight. Gets to, do, gets to do whatever he wants. Only cling on his Starfleet. No one can say dick. Unbelievable. He gets to eat. You've seen him wearing that fucking his dumb chain mail. What is that? <laughs> what if he's the fucking mayor of space? He's just fucking space my, mayor? My fucking Apple Watch on the other day. <laughs> I had my fucking Apple Watch on so I could get the updates from the ship just like directly <laughs> onto my wrist if I'm in a Jeffrey's tube or something. Riker told me I was out of uniform and then he sent me back to my quarters for the day. And this guy gets to wear that big old clunky thing around all day long. You My can, actual Apple iWatch was not uniform code. You just fucking hear it rattle all the time. I hear it rattle. I know he's coming. Yeah, that's right. I, I don't even think about it. You know, you know what I do? I go and open the door so I don't have to see him open it. I can't. That guy thought, that guy thought he was going to sneak up on fucking Roga Danar with that thing <laughs> jingling and jangling all day. <laughs> jingling and jangling. He clipped it. He clipped his keys on it one time, man. It was like a fucking uh, Christmas sleigh. <laughs> jingle bells going by. They used to call him that. They used to say, here comes Jingle Bells. That was beaten up before he became one of Picard's guys. Yeah, when he was just a junior officer, like you and me. The good times. It's all political. 
this is what I wrote in the notes. If you meet a kid named Denver, do you assume his dumbass parents named him after the city or the terrible singer? Well, you know which one I assume. <laughs> and I will say, Marjan knows somebody. His With a kid named Denver? His name is Denver. And that was exactly what I thought the first time. I was like, is that the city or is it John Denver? <clears throat> Alright, so do you want to know why Marjan says this alone is the bad episode of TNG? That all 175 other ones are good? Yep, let's hear it. Okay. Just showing Toby Russell and her bad scientific and medical ethics is the reason Marjan says this is the only bad episode of TNG. Right. The fact that this lady exists in Jean's idyllic hippie space future... Yeah. Ruins everything for her, which is why she hates all of the stuff that comes later with, like, Section 31 and all the dark fucking aughts and pre-aughts shit that starts to happen after Jean died. For her, it she all hates started all with Toby that. Russell? To free, Toby Russell's the first one. She's like, Man, fuck that episode. There's a bad guy in it. And I went, yeah, but she's the bad guy. Like, we know she's the bad guy. She's made out to be the bad guy. Crusher, the conscience of the uh, show, see hates her. her. Hair. They're trying very hard to tell us she's the bad guy. They gave her the Hillary, like, we know she's the bad guy. Like, they're saying she's a bad guy, so they're saying don't do what she does, even though now that I've seen the episode, I'm not sure. But but she's like, no, even just the fact that that lady's in there means that's the bad episode. And I'm like, okay. But it's, <laughs> it's such one. a fucking absolutely consistent portrayal of, of scientists, scientists in yep. this show. The writers necessarily... are... They're so mad at science and scientists in general. They don't understand how email works, and they're mad about it. <laughs> That's yep. some scientist shit. Yeah, Marjorie doesn't go deep on this show like we do. She don't remember all those bad scientists. I well, always try to bring it up. I like didn't a, remember oh, you mean like, until we started this critical watch, and that, but it's like every fifth episode there's a scientist, <laughs> and it's like, oh, I get it. I see what you're doing. Yeah, like I rattle off the episode titles to her about all the ones where scientists are such douchebags, and she's just like, I don't remember that one. And it's like, okay, that's fair. You shouldn't remember them. Don't remember them. Um, and then I said, and also, is she right? Is this the worst episode of TNG, and why do I love it so much? Uh, I don't know how Nurse Ogawa is going to go on without Worf's constant presence in her life. Until this episode, I wasn't sure they'd been in the same room ever. But the look on her face when they lose Worf is like, I've lost every. I, Alyssa Ogawa, have lost everything. Like, I don't know what to say about Alyssa Ogawa at this point. She doesn't get fleshed out until Lower Decks, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And Uh, it's weird when that happens. The other ones are make-em-ups. The other Lower Decks? Yes. Well, I guess Cito Jackson isn't because she was in First Duty. Yes. But. I'm just going to remind you that the character of Alyssa Ogawa was introduced in Future Imperfect as a person who didn't exist. (laughs) It was a cool person to take from that fictional universe and put back into the real. And they were just like, you know what? There should be a nurse, right? Yeah, there should be someone in that sick base sometimes. That lady's uh, pretty in a normal way and seems quiet and like she'd be afraid of Dr. Crusher. Let's make her the nurse. She just looked so shattered when Worf went, and I was like, "Oh, they got like a secret relation—not like even like a romantic one—but they like they hang out, and I don't know about it." She seems really; she can't handle this Worf thing. Uh, like Marla asked her, she probably fucking reports to Worf in a way that doesn't make any sense. But like, oh uh, yeah, all the blue uniforms report to him. And listen, no Crusher doesn't have any direct reports. I don't. 
I don't know what to say about this. She's the doctor, but she don't she don't do people. She is the doctor, and during medical operations, she does tell the other people what to do. But yes, yeah. she does not. But that's it's like a dotted shit. line thing where she can give she get, tells them what to do medically, but like she don't do their performance. Well, Picard introduced this. He just called it a matrix, right? <laughs> and so like I report to him, and um, but I also report to Worf, and then Worf reports to uh, Riker. But Riker reports to Picard, but then also Picard reports to me. It's not, doesn't it don't I'm make a no medical sense. officer? So there's just a lot. There's a lot of lines on the chart, and honestly, the first time I saw the chart, I just I never looked at it again. And look, like it don't matter. Like when I submit my time off request, I just submit it in Paylocity. They figure out who to send it to to get it approved. I don't <laughs> got to do that. That's right. And then to be really, to be really real, I stopped doing that a long time ago. I haven't reported any of my last <laughs> several days that I took. No one's called me on it. I just keep accruing PTO. It just keeps happening. <clears throat> All right, I'm finally done. Okay. So now your turn. Yeah, so number one, my first thought was very same as your first thought. Jordy cheats at poker, right? He's a cheater. He says he cheats, and then he goes, oh, I'm not a cheater though. I wait and I wait until the hand's done. Yeah. And it's like, you mean to like to count cards or something? To be like, these are the cards that have been used? What are you talking about? Yeah, then I do look through the cards with my magic visor see what they were um but another thing is if Worf doesn't think that counselor troy can beat him at cards by bluffing she he should not play 3d chess against her because she just whipped data's ass real bad at 3d chess lately it was so again not humble about it no just about how he could never hope to equal her because she had intuition and he's got Christmas lights in his head. Yes. And all this shit that was personal and weird. I actually, when you were like, why are these two people dealing with this leak? I actually thought Jordy got the call and Worf was ready to leave the poker game. <laughs> and he was like, well, I know how to use whooped. it. I know how to use a tricorder. When they thought data got blowed up, they Picard put me on tricorder duty. So That's right. I'm going to go with you and do the scan. Absolutely. I was running the big ship tricorder. It was great. Yeah, for sure. Um, the cargo bay mm -hmm. has got to be one of the most dangerous assignments on the ship. <laughs> the ship's constantly shaking. If the Yes, the, these barrels are just stacked on top of each other like that, 25 feet up in the air. <laughs> and this ship shakes and rattles every week. It hits a quantum filament or a yeah. fucking... Cosmic string. Cosmic string... Sure. Or it gets caught, some some 2D entities yep. catch it, or... Or a Romulan disruptor blast set on low to uh -huh. just send a message, shakes them up. Uh-huh. Or a fucking old ship with... Uh, Kelsey Grammer is the captain, just shoots out of a hole in space and hits you. Yep. It happens right every you. week. Yeah. So you don't want to get on cargo bay duty because people die in there. Picard doesn't oh, talk no. about it a lot, but people die in there. Well, we I think we talked about this during the episode disaster. Um, I mean, a ton of people died in there, but how many people died in those cargo bays that were just full of explosive material? Yeah. That for some reason, Jordy and Crusher were the only people in that cargo bay. Yeah. I ask again, what is their job? Why did Jordy have to go there? Why did Dr. Crutcher have to go there? What's happening? Wasn't she there to convince him to do a play or something? Yes. So I think you. I think it's the same thing where Jordy got a call for some yes. reason. 
as chief engineer, he has to do all of these mundane nothing jobs. And then well, someone's always you, had, exactly either wants to be around him to harangue him about something or just wanted to leave the poker game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know why he has to do every job. Picard has not learned the names of any other engineers and he doesn't want to. He was mad when he had to learn Barkley's name and, yeah. he, and did it wrong. And furious about having said broccoli. <laughs> so, you know what? It's true. He was gets furious in a way that he was blaming everyone else. Yeah. For sure. Jordy gets the calls and he can send whoever he fucking wants, but actually Jordy has to go and do it because Picard's also only going to follow up with him. That's true. Yeah, he's going to be like, hey, what happened in the cargo bay? I was asking you about the cargo bay yesterday. He'd be, he won't remember any of the details about the request he made. He'd be like, uh, I said something about the cargo bay. You have to help remind me. I'm very busy. Uh, my job's more important than yours. Uh, so this kind of goes unspoken because they hadn't come up with the idea of the Maquis yet. Mm. But the Denver was carrying refugees when it hit a Cardassian gravitic mine. Yeah. It was either refugees from Cardassian space or going to settle in Cardassian space, huh? Mm, yeah, it's true. This is some this is some early Maquis stuff going on here. Yeah, are these the fuckers going out there to colonize those planets in the DMZ for some fucking reason? Uh-huh. That's where you want to colonize. Yeah, well, this, that's where the Federation sends its weirdos who want to live in the past. <laughs> is to colonies <laughs> in the DMZ. Yep. Um, my mom always said Klingons had a lot of dumb ideas about honor. She also said stuff like, you're one year old, you were just born. <laughs> it's true, she did say that a lot before she died. I mean, how can he remember anything his mom said? I remind you, he is literally two years old. Stop breaking the show. It's a it's a third rail that it just doesn't come into play very often because Alexander doesn't matter. But you cannot talk about this. He was conceived in season two. It's this season is, five. This is TV nonsense that you cannot reason out in real I'm life. Just saying. I don't know what you want me to say He's about it. Two it's a third rail that just it doesn't shock you that much when you touch it because it doesn't matter. But like, then I wrote. Hey, there's a version of this where Worf uses his powerful arms to scoot down to where that knife is and kills himself. And Riker has to live with the knowledge that he let a man die so he could be dramatic. <laughs> yep, he drops it down on his feet like, ta-da. He didn't have to bring it at all. You. Yeah, but he had to wave it around like he thought maybe I'm going to convince Worf I might do it. Uh-huh. And then I'm going to go, but... And then, by the way, in case you think that's something I thought of, but the show pe the show didn't, in the next scene, Worf's holding the knife. He yep. gives it to Alexander. Yep. He got yep. that knife off of his feet. I would like to think that um, some, if she had staff, some medical ensign was in there, and he's like, can you give me that knife? And the guy was just like, what? Okay. And he gave him the knife, and then later on, someone was like, that guy's going to kill himself, you know? And then the guy went, oh! Oh! It was gnarly. I thought maybe it was just a like a ceremonial night. I don't really know anything about Klingon culture, so. <laughs> oh shit! I'm gonna get Simon Tarsized. They got cameras everywhere on this fucking ship. They're gonna see that I just gave. I just said, "Oh, sure, yeah, whatever you want, sir. Here's your yeah, knife, oh, sir." Big, big, and spiky fucking, like, knife. Yeah, you can. And have then it. I said, "For, for thou," and I, I did a dumb <laughs> bow. They're gonna see that, and everyone's gonna play that. It's gonna be in court, and people are gonna see the dumb thing that I did, where I was like, "Oh," and I pretended to doff my cap. I don't wear a cap. <sighs> um. 
hey, Alexander should be the best at multiplication in his class because his class should be two-year-olds. <laughs> okay. He's very advanced for a two-year-old. It's true. They should no, I mean, Kess that. wasn't there. Not compared to Kess, but... No, no, no. Compared to not most even, two-year-olds. Not even, like, biologically compared to Kess. She had powers and shit, man. I mean, that is true, too. Yeah, they should say that to him every once in a while, just to give him an attaboy. Like, hey, you're doing pretty good for two, man. Yeah, that is true. Uh, focus the drectal beams on the anterior and posterior spinal roots. I know where they go. I don't have anything to say about that. I just wanted, that's a line from this episode <laughs> that someone, that, uh, Gates McFadden had to say. <laughs> drectal beams. Yeah. It's, uh, we all know about those. Uh, and then, you know, you think of Alexander is a third rail. I think the transporter is a real third rail. Oh, sure. We've seen it used to reset bodies. We'll see it reset bodies again. Yeah. In Rascals. That's, I think, the only other time. That's not this episode's fault, but it sucks. Yeah, it sucks. It sucks a major one. Uh, best actor I gave to Crusher, just setting her jaw in the back when she hears Russell say Genetronic to Worf. Mm-hmm. Worst actor, Alexander rushing over to help his dad. They did not think of a way that that could be credible when they blocked this scene out, so they just have him run over there, stand between the bars, and put one hand on his dad's hand. Yeah, he's like bracing his hand. Or it's, yeah, it don't make no sense. That they he must have said I would have. They said, "Listen, we've got this really touching thing where Worf says I would appreciate some help with my son from my son, and that you know he's moved past it and he's willing to let Alexander see his shit." And then they're like, "This kid's eighteen pounds. <laughs> There's like he literally can't help. There's nothing he can do that would look credible as helping." So, so just have him stand there, and Worf will be like, "You did good, son." They didn't think to have him run over there and push a button on the motor assist device or whatever to get him to stand back. Uh, maybe he doesn't have those in this scene. I don't know. But Yeah, I need those no more. Now he's got the uh, the good spine. The good spine they gave him. Uh, just run over and stand there. It's just supposed to be touching. It don't matter. Just look at each other and it'll, everyone will get it at home. <sighs> Yo, did we do it? We did it. Did it take three hours again? <laughs> Like in the uh, old days. We're at, we're at 255 right now, so yeah, basically it did. Yeah. Um, That's not my fault. It's As always, it's the writer's fault. No, we had a lot to say about things this, uh, this time. Mm-hmm. Third place this week with 14 points, which, I mean, the winner last week was 15, so whatever. It's sure. Voyager, 1159. They oh, had a week off from having yeah. to hear the bad version of their theme, but it's coming back next week. That's comforting. It's good to see them back there. Second place with 23 points. It was my highest, but not yours. TNG yeah. Ethics. Yeah, I did not give them a lot of points. It's true. So the winner this week with 30 points, it's their 39th win, puts them back to eight behind the next generation. They've been stinking lately, so they yeah. needed a win. Deep Space Nine, <laughs> Ties of Blood and Water, which we didn't talk about, but what does that mean? Is, oh, yeah. is Water her fake dad? And blood is her real dad, right? But why water? Because blood man. is thicker than water? But that doesn't I mean no... that your real family is better than your adopted <laughs> family. That means your family is more important than strangers. I don't no, I'm just going to say, sometimes you say things and I go, oh, that's a really good point of view. I never thought about that. Sometimes you say things and I want to quit the project because of you. <laughs> and when you said, is that what this means? And you said that thing about what it might mean. I hated that. That didn't sound right. I don't think that's what it means. I don't even understand what you meant by it. Well, then I just want to know what the ties of water are. That's I all. don't know. <laughs> As always, they did something that sounded like a Babylon 5 title, and they don't know what it means. <laughs> well, <clears throat> that was the winner. 30 points. 
next time we talk Star Trek. Yeah. We got another big one coming up here, Matt. We've got the outcast for TNG. Yeah, I mean, that is a big one, for sure. And I got a lot to say about it already, so I can't imagine how long we're going to go. But. Yeah, I, I bet I bet it's going to step on its own dick a bunch of times. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Kind of like today's. Uh, and for those of you who have not anticipated it, that is an episode about a woman who illegally has feelings of gender. Yeah, an individual who illegally has feelings that she's a woman and right. It's an interesting, in interesting and... thing, and they, I think they were putting gender in there as a as sort of an analog for another different thing. But then they didn't anticipate that the gender thing itself was going <laughs> right. to become a big thing. So it looks very different in twenty twenty two than in twenty twenty two. You're like, wow, ahead of their time. But it's like, no, that's not. They weren't doing that. They didn't know about that. For Deep Space Nine, Ferengi love songs. The oh, uh, thing to look forward to in this, I think, is the uh, reappearance of Wallace Shawn, right? Yeah, well, then, yes. That, then that could be okay. That yeah. part will be okay. The name of the Voyager episode that you get to describe, Matt, is <clears throat> Relativity. That's a great, that's a promising that's a, title. That's a title you love to hear. Don't <laughs> feel too bad about it. After that, I get to describe the episode Warhead. <laughs> Yeah, should we handle Equinox? Are we just going to split that up? Oh, that is a like good question. Either, Equinox looks like it's two parts in our yeah, lineup. So, so I guess I'll describe we'll do the first half and part one. The second half. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'm not looking forward to relativity. I don't remember what it is. And uh, I'm, I don't want uh, It's not going to be good. I know that. I that, know it's not going to be good. That's what to watch if you want to play along in week 116 when we get back together. Yeah. Um, next time, though, will be a mailbag episode, at least. And yeah, unless we decide not to. I don't know. <laughs> or it's up or to not. us. We're running the show here. And uh, Ryan has threatened a new bracket, and Ryan's oh. wife has told me what the theme of the bracket is, but I don't Ooh, think he's constructed it yet. So Yeah, I was surprised. I really thought we were going to get, like... I wasn't surprised because it was several days after when I first saw that message, but like, I, it is surprising that he didn't have that ready based on the speed at which the Billy Joel bracket came over when he's like, I'm not making you a bracket. And then like three hours later, I was like, here's the Billy Joel bracket. <laughs> you know, based on what she told me, it's something he's going to have to do some putting together on. So I'm, oh. I'm kind of not surprised. All right. Well, good. Then they, they, that might stop it. It might not happen. That's nice. We might not have to do it. All right. Well, yeah. Send us some mail though, everybody fill up that mailbag. So we only have to do A plot, B plot every once in a while. It's for your own good. Um, that's at Brother Date on the Twitter machine. If, you know, if Twitter's still operating at that point, I don't know. We'll see. It's possible. I guess maybe they can just run it without staff. <laughs> we'll see. We'll fucking see. I don't know. I um, mean, well, I think to the deadline for everyone to sign the loyalty pledge or get fired <laughs> has already passed, and I don't know what happened, so. I do love the constant leak of information. Uh, there's something every day. It's wild. Well, I love it because why would he think there would not be reason for people to oh, leak yeah. this information? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he should start, he should leak it. He should just do it publicly, really. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, otherwise, you can send us email. That should probably still be working. I don't think Elon Musk, sorry, I don't think Lone Scum controls email, does he? Yeah, I don't think so either. All right, so yeah, send us an email. That's brothers at brotherdate.com. Come to the website, brotherdate.com, best website. I've always said, and um, uh, podcatchers, there's big dumb animals, man, and I don't <laughs> understand like nuance and how you can go on without the use of your legs. So 
just take pity on him and stab him in the heart or whatever. Both hearts, I guess. Uh, as you believe, so shall you do. So shall you do. As you, you believe, believe, so, so shall, shall you do. I can't. That guy thought that guy thought he was gonna sneak up on fucking Roga Danart with that thing jingling and jangling all day. <laughs> jingling and jangling. He clipped it. He clipped his keys on it one time, man. It was like a fucking uh, Christmas sleigh. Please subscribe.